This is Unfilter, episode 249 for August 30th, 2017. At least 200 people, from what I'm told, are in a local shelter here. But the real emphasis, though, according to the sheriff, Bill Mills, is the concern about finding bodies in these homes. There was a very ominous and dire warning given uh, by the local leadership last night, asking local residents who did decide to wait out this storm to write their social security number on their forearm and their names in case local officials had to recover those bodies. Hello and welcome. Yes, another big week in the world. And we have the show to bring it to you. Welcome to Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. Over there running the board this week is our new intern, Chris. Hey, buddy. Hey, Chris. How you doing? Good. Writing my Twitter handle on my forehead just in case. Just in case case. the the tweets get you. Well, it's more like the wildfires here in the Pacific Northwest, not so much the flooding. But uh, we are going to talk about the flooding this week amongst many things. You mean like, uh, I don't know, a presidential pardon, maybe? We have those things to talk about. Of course, as always on this show, we have a super overpacked overtime. Ugh. We need like a phrase for that. When you take the overtime and you just like pack it full of stuff, uh, double overtime, like a, like a double stuffed overtime. I, well, I, I like double overtime because it's got the double mm-hmm. entendre. Mm-hmm. There is something really interesting happening in the Russia investigation. Something that could be massive, and we may actually get a record of it. We'll tell you about that. North Korea just made a huge mistake. We'll give you an update on what's going on there and around the world. And yeah, we're going to talk about Harvey this week. In fact, I don't know if the Unfilter Show has ever covered natural disasters. Um, Have we ever done that before? N- not, well, nothing as major in magnitude yeah. as this. So we're going to be talking about that, plus we'll wrap it all up with a high note, and then if you're sticking around for the dessert, like I said, quite the overtime this week. But Mr. Chase... Yes, Mr. Chris. As we always like to do, we, we like do have a little cyber to ASL boating. Yeah, a ASL. little bit. And you might have heard the news that uh, Trump's cybersecurity team quit this week. And mass resignations have hit the White House yet again. Seven members of the U.S. President Donald Trump's cybersecurity team resigned on Sunday. Members of the National Infrastructure Advisory Council accused the U.S. President of ignoring pressing national security matters. In a group resignation letter, NIAC members quoted specific shortfalls in the administration's approach to cybersecurity and broader concerns that have now undermined the moral infrastructure of the U.S. Oh, man, that sounds Aye. bad. Wow. Of course, we were giving that cyber czar a hard time about his phony job numbers last week. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that guy should go, actually. Well, I mean, to be fair, I, I think what happened was uh, the president heard our show. Yeah, yeah, probably. And he's like, you know, you, you know, you know, Chase, Chris, you guys are right, and that's what happened. That sounds just like him. Yep, that sounds that is, just that is like real him. news. That is not fake. So there's a story that you've been wanting to talk about in the show, but we haven't had any audio of it until this week. Welcome back to RT America. The Federal Communications Commission has received over 47,000 complaints concerning Chairman Ajit Pai's plan to eliminate net neutrality rules. The FCC has so far refused to release more than 1,000 of the complaints despite a Freedom of Information Act request and is currently facing pressure to follow through. To discuss possible harms that could result from the FCC's proposed changes, 
We're joined now by Net Neutrality Campaign Director Katie Anderson. Of Katie, Katie, uh, Katie. We uh, don't need Katie. Hi, hi Chase here. Um, get some more lighting, thanks. Yeah, Katie definitely needs to get some more lighting uh, and uh, maybe a better background, too. Yeah. But this is interesting, this whole, like, oh, well, yeah, there was some complaints, but we don't really feel like we need, oh, you you really want to know about all these complaints? Oh, no, uh, Chris, we can't release all of this them. That cyber would, attack, that, that, You see, and these logs are very confusing. No, 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 no. Cyber well, attack, that's Chase. different. That's it's a different. Well, that's a different thing. No, I know, but all you know, we just mixed all our logs together, and we had uh, the cyber attack. We had all these requests coming in. We can't, we can't parse the spam from legitimate requests, and it's just such a task for us. It would take so long. We just shouldn't even bother. I can see if, that. As if, if honestly, can you see that coming if, back as the? If this doesn't prove that this Edget Pie guy, by the way, former Verizon lawyer. Is not in it for the the person and in it for the business. This is it right here. Mm. I mean, total. You know, the the dead weight. You know, as far as you know, uh, you know, just dragging your heels, not fulfilling requests that are legal. Can you I know. tell you something? You can. This is a safe space. I've been, you know, since episode like eighty eight of our show. That's I've, a long time. I know, but that's like we've been talking about we've been talking about net neutrality for a long time. Yes, but we haven't had to really speak about it for a while. Mm-mm, no, but I've been—I've never stopped thinking about it. Yeah, and um, something affecting you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, it would directly affect Jupiter Broadcasting. And at, at first, I was—I was a hundred percent for some sort of net neutrality regulation on the wired networks. We've already lost the battle on the wireless, but I was—I was all for it, for wired. And then I thought about it more, and I thought, well, shit, I don't really want the FCC regulating me saying shit. Yeah. And I don't really want the FCC involved in setting policy, and I don't want stagnation and innovation. So you'd rather have Comcast uh, regulate you? No. No. See that? And so then, but then as time has gone on, what's happened is Twitter and Facebook now censor fake news. Yeah. YouTube now censors even my TechSnap program. Yeah. They even censor TechSnap. Well, to be, like, to be fair, I mean, it is pretty controversial. Yeah, I mean, you know, they might be talking about news. Um, and so these independent private platforms that now represent the monopolies of the internet, these information silos on the internet are already policing speech more so than the FCC would, because at least the FCC would be directly regulated by the constitution. So, so here, here is now I'm more pro net neutrality again. Long story short. Yeah. yeah. I've come back around again. Yeah. And and that's where I am. And I am too, because we're going to end up, we're going to end up with censorship either way. Right. And. I will say this though: some of the the best watchdogs are are people like the EFF, for example. You know, and I know some people like the the crap on them, uh, but honestly, you know, thanks to the, uh, you know organizations like them, and actually smart communities like Jupiter Broadcasting, people keep a very close eye on this tech stuff because that's their livelihood, that's their li- life blood. You know, everything that they do, so they'll know. Like for example, with Verizon. When they were testing, uh, you know, uh, throttling down video, for example, mm, and they didn't now tell anybody. Now they've rolled it out. Now is a main right. thing. Exactly. Yeah, they well, announced that last week. Well, it's one of those. Those are that's the prime exi- example where people are keeping a very close eye on these ISPs. Uh, and, yeah, we are finding out when they're when they're testing, quote unquote. Oh yeah, but that doesn't stop them. Like we caught them, and then they just announced it next week as an official thing. I, I, I think what is going to happen is you're and you're seeing it happen in. in uh, tends to be more liberal states, you know, democratic states like California, for example, where they've introduced a bill in their assembly that would, for example, have higher than, you know, basically cementing some of the privacy protections, for example, like uh, these ISPs couldn't call, uh, charge extra to keep your data 
private. It would be an opt-in situation where the you would have to opt in to to give your data. So yeah. these are the things. I think in full reflection, the positives outweigh the negatives. Right, and I think these are the things where it's just a little common sense. And obviously, the ISPs, which happen to be media companies now, like AT and T, Xfinity, you know, Comcast, they're trying to protect their traditional models putting artificial caps uh, on data because they don't want you uh, to you know, go to that site. And, but that being said, now you have uh, them doing their own online bundles as well. And mark my words, you don't even have to do a Red Book. Once, uh, if this happens and it holds up in court, you're going to see Xfinity, you're going to see AT&T have these online-only bundles that don't count against any kind of bandwidth caps because they're still keeping you in the family, so to speak. You know, I Something completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. Nightmare. That's it's a, a total nightmare. That's a cyber dystopia, right that's, there. That's that's why you know if you live in an area where, for example, you have a community that is possibly thinking about doing their own thing. Uh, you know, and and ro- rolling with their own fiber and trying to start an ISP, and then you have these big, you know, companies come in and say, "No, you can't do that." You know, we maybe want, it'll be know. like pot. Maybe it'll be maybe not quite the same um, t- to the same degree, but maybe it'll be like cannabis sales. Right. Like the 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 municipalities that invest in fiber internet could see huge gains in small business and revenue from small business taxes. And so it quickly pays for the investment in fiber it's, so more and more places do it. It's scary because it's it's ter- uh, what used to be open and felt open is becoming more restrictive and controlled. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is where it gets very, very dangerous. But also at the same time, why? And I'm not trying to do a, a shameless plug about our Patreon here, but it's one of those situations where thanks to you guys, if those views get pulled down, and those videos get flagged. Yeah, yeah. which you know, pretty much almost the entire – these new YouTube ad policies have affected almost the entire back catalog yeah. of Unfilter. Chris doesn't have to stress as much yeah. because yeah. he has that support, yep. that independent support. Yeah. So Patreon.com slash Unfilter. Very important. And because of that, uh, it doesn't matter that – like if we were just an independent YouTube news show right now, yeah. like legitimately, I want – let's just actually stop and talk about this for a second. Yeah. So just, just so we all are clear, if this was a YouTube news show – we would be dead right now. Oh, yeah. They just demonetized our entire back catalog of Unfilter. So with the exception of a handful of videos, we would be, this show would be over right and, now if and, it wasn't for our patrons. And, and, and you know, like that, I, I mean, we really should mention well, that. That's a big deal. And, and it's, and you know, and I want to be clear. I'll, let me be clear. It's not just about, say, a YouTube or a Google that maybe doesn't like what we're saying. And, you know, obviously they have so many videos or, you know, the calculations of videos being uploaded per second. There's no way that there could be a manual flag. That being said, there are people out there who listen to our show or just love to shit on our show because we are just telling it like it is. And then what they do is they'll they'll generate flag a bot or something. Yeah. They'll generate a bot. Yeah. They'll have all their friends well, they have flag that. videos they have and a then new, they get them pull them down. There's a new YouTube Heroes program too where you can flag if somebody uses the F word or something like that, you can flag a video and you could become a YouTube hero. Hero. That's what they call it. You know yeah. that reminds me. So it is sometimes now becoming Talk actual about humans. Heroes. Yeah. Oh. It reminds me of oh. uh, hall monitors. Um, yeah. But I wanted to say it's thanks to our patrons that we're still publishing the show. And the reason why we publish to YouTube, even though I'm absolutely up for alternative platforms, 
is because that's where people are searching. That's where there's an audience. And so we're able to reach people that wouldn't normally see the show. And that's, you know, and so thank God we don't have to try to make money off that yeah. shit show of a platform. It's a dumpster fire over there. Yep. Speaking of dumpster fires, uh, Chase's good buddy. My friend. Adam Schiff. Uh, ah, Schiff. A lot, of, a lot of this investigation was kicked off because Actually, of this. Actually, he's your best friend. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's we, your yeah, best friend. Yeah, we telegram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of Adam Schiff's uh, crusade against Trump and the Russia investigation is inspired by this dossier. This steely dossier that was paid for by Fusion GPS. He was hired opposition research by the Bush campaign early on. And then after Bush uh, realized that he was a loser, uh, the Clinton campaign started paying them. And the more he wrote, the more he got paid. Then we got the dossier. This dossier says that Trump hired hookers to piss on a bed that the Obamas stayed in, says that the Kremlin has dirt on, on Trump, really, really just lays it all out there and, and basically makes uh, Donald Trump the, uh, the Kremlin candidate. And so somehow this winds up in the hands of John McCain. John McCain takes it to the FBI. The FBI uses this as justification in the FISA court to start monitoring Trump campaign associates. This is how names like Paul Manafort... And uh, General Michael Flynn's name. Yep. I remembered it this time. Yeah. Uh, I was going to I was gonna ask you for what it was, but I actually remembered uh, it. Uh, Michael Flynn. Michael, Michael Flynn. Flynn yeah. uh, Michael Flynn's name uh, all got unmasked. This is, this is how this process came to be. And so there is now some, now there are some that are suggesting perhaps it would be worth looking into this dossier a bit and holding a few investigations about that. And the problem is that sort of makes Adam Schiff's entire investigation fall apart. I want to ask you about the so-called dossier. Uh, Glenn Simpson, the former Wall Street Journal investigative reporter who's now the head of Fusion GPS, testified for 10 hours uh, before the Judiciary Committee behind closed doors on Tuesday. It's interesting because when it's something that really matters, they do it behind closed doors every damn time. Because then they can they can say stuff where they don't have to like take some sort of executive privilege or some sort of national security reasons. They can say stuff that's off off of the public cameras. And it was his firm who hired the very well-regarded British intelligence officer, Christopher Steele, to do that dossier. That's her opinion. Uh, now, Senator Grassley has told a town meeting in Iowa that he's looking into holding a public hearing, but doesn't have an inherent objection to releasing the transcript of that. Simpson and his attorney say that it's up to the committee to release the transcript. Where do we stand on the investigation into finding out whether the really troubling... Uh, it's getting a little awkward here. It's just getting a little awkward. The troubling uh, contents of that so-called dossier may be true. Well, you know, there's been, I think, an effort by some to discredit uh, the firm Fusion GPS or discredit uh, Mr. Steele. And, and as you say... Uh, Mr. Steele uh, has a very good reputation, uh, is reportedly a former... Where can... You, seriously, Google search this guy's name. Like, he's a former spy, and then after he was no longer a spy, he left for some reason, and yeah. he went and became a opposition research guy for hire. Like, how does that give you a great rep... So the only reputation he has is that he was a spy. But it's in some some weird, perverted reality that we now exist, being a spy gives you credibility, even though a fundamental fact of being a spy is being a liar, a liar and a deceiver and, and hiding information from people for a greater good. Like, that's the whole idea of a spy. But in the left MSNBC perspective, and I, I, do, I never say this, but let's be real here, post-Hillary Clinton's loss, 
the the people that are defending Hillary Clinton's loss have aligned themselves with the CIA and spies. And now in this new reality, where when the CIA just tells you something anonymously, you believe it, and it doesn't matter what the facts are because the CIA says it, right. we now worship fucking spies. And because this guy was a spy, he is credible somehow. Which to me, I, I, just, I don't even know when this happened, because... It seems like it was just a couple of months ago, if you were a spy, that automatically meant maybe we shouldn't trust what you were saying. And at some point, all of this flipped around, and nobody sent me a damn memo. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Steele uh, has a very good reputation, uh, is reportedly a former British intelligence officer. I can't confirm that, but uh, is... uh, (laughs) What? What do you mean you can't confirm? Why did you just say it? She didn't say it. You just said it. And then you said, he is such a thumb, dude. Intelligence (laughs) officer, I can't confirm that but uh, is uh, reported to be very well regarded. And I think the key thing from... Reported. The- reported. Uh, that's stop poli- it. That's politicians for saying in the media they consider him well regarded. Uh, is uh, reported to be very well regarded. And I think the key thing from an investigative point of view is not trying to uh, impeach uh, um, the people who produce the report. Or- impeach is an interesting word they just threw out there. Yeah. Commission the report, but rather find out whether the facts are true in the report. Uh, and when you look at just what has become public, uh, some of the public information is very much in line with what is reported in that dossier. And well, if you know, if the if the unsourced reports in the media confirm it, it must be true. I'll give you one example that really strikes me, and that is the dossier talks about uh, sources within the Kremlin reporting that uh, they have three goals. They want to find out what support friendly U.S. persons would want. They want to gather relevant intelligence, and then they want to disseminate compromising information. No way. (laughs) Russia would want to do that? What? No. Shut up. Uh, So while that looks a little more shoddy, that is looking weaker and weaker. There are aspects of the Russia investigation that look a little stronger. Breaking news, a CNN exclusive. A revealing email from a top aide to President Trump under new scrutiny tonight by congressional investigators. The email detailed an effort to arrange a meeting between top Trump officials and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Oh, there it is. You knew it was going to be big, too, because he's shouting. Like, he's excited about this. Breaking like, news. This very... is us. I'm in for Aaron. Back to you. I love chicken, and this is very exciting. <laughs> between top Trump officials and Russian President Vladimir Putin during the campaign. Multiple sources say that the email was sent from Rick Dearborn, who is now Trump's deputy chief of staff. CNN has learned that the email was sent around the time of the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting between Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and then campaign chairman Paul Manafort, and Russians offering damaging information on Hillary Clinton. Dearborn was a top campaign aide at the time. Manu Raju and our team broke this story, and he is with us out front tonight. So, Mano, what details are you learning about this email? Yeah, that's right, Jim. Congressional investigators have unearthed this email from this top Trump aide that references previously unreported effort to arrange a meeting last year between Trump officials and Vladimir Putin. Now, this is according to sources with direct knowledge of the matter. Now, this, the aide, Rick Dearborn, the president's deputy chief of staff and former chief of staff to Jeff Sessions as a senator, sent this brief email to campaign officials last year relaying information about an individual who was seeking to connect top Trump officials with Putin. Now, the person in 
this email was only identified as being from, quote, WV, which one source told me was a reference to West Virginia. Now, it's unclear who this West Virginia individual is, what he or she may have been seeking, and whether Dearborn even acted on this request. One source said that it is believed that this West Virginia individual had political connections in that state. Now, that same source told me that Dearborn, in the email, did appear to be skeptical of the requested meeting, which that email came out in June of 2016. Now, as I mentioned, Dearborn, the former chief of staff of Jeff Sessions, as well as a top policy in the, in the campaign, and investigators, I'm told, have questions about whether he played any role in arranging two meetings that occurred last year between the Russian ambassador, ambassador at the time, Sergei Kislyak, and Sessions. Dearborn was also involved in helping arrange an, a 2016 event at the Mayflower Hotel oh, where Trump delivered a major foreign policy address and where there was a, a, may have been any uh, an encounter between Sessions and Kislyak. Questions about that as well. Now, Dearborn, Jim, did not respond to multiple inquiries seeking comment. Uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders declined to comment, but she would not respond to a number of emails that I had about the basics <laughs> of exactly what this email was about. Dude's getting frustrated, man. He sent some emails. He's not getting any answers. What do you think about this particular one? Seen an exclusive, Jay. Seen an exclusive. Hmm. All right. I don't know. You know, it, obviously, all these all these companies, including CNN, you know, they, they try to you know one up each other and have these exclusives, that's and true. then you stretch the term exclusive, mm. and I think that's what we can apply here. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. exclusive, but yeah. not really. So remember how, speaking of exclusive, remember how I was saying the, the really interesting Senate investigation hearings happen behind closed doors, the ones that, where they talk about stuff that really matters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another one of those is about to happen. And this time, it's, uh, it's with Trump Jr., Oh, really? Donald Trump Jr. was invited to sit down in a public session before this Judiciary Committee on the Senate side in July. Now, he cut a deal to avoid that public appearance. They went behind the scenes. They had weeks of negotiations. And now Donald Trump Jr. has agreed to a private closed-door meeting with Senate Judiciary Committee staff and senators who are also invited. They can come down and they can meet with uh, Don Jr. in this transcribed interview that will they will be discussing that Trump Tower meeting from June of 2016. All right. I have a question. Stupid question. Aren't all interviews with panels and, you know, when you give testimony, aren't those transcribed? Mm-hmm. So what's significant here? Maybe why, he's, why? Why the emphasis on the transcription? He's bringing it up to to, to indicate that they could uh, maybe get the transcript. I read red book. It'll be leaked. It, it, it has to be. I mean, why else would you be mentioning that it's going to be transcribed? Yeah, yeah. In which Trump Jr., of course, as he said, was promised dirt from the Russians on the Clinton campaign. Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort also attended that meeting. This will be the first time that he does sit down with anyone from Capitol Hill. He had said publicly in the aftermath of the revelations, Don Jr. said publicly he'd be willing to testify under oath before Congress. But once he was invited by this committee to talk in public, instead he wanted to go behind the scenes, behind closed doors. It's uncertain, Brooke, if he will, in fact... could you imagine? Could you imagine the me- the only the only thing that would get less media attention is if Donald Trump, or the only thing that would get more, I should say, yeah. is if Donald Trump himself sat down in a public hearing. Well, didn't if, he, if Donnie he... Jr. here sat down at a public hearing in this, it would be prime time television. It would be every network would be carrying it live. Every network. Who did they do that for recently? 
Uh, oh gosh. Oh yeah, Comey. Comey, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they're going to do it for Comey, you know they would do it for the prince. Oh, and Sessions too. For the for the prince of the United States. <laughs> the, <laughs> the prince. <laughs> uh-huh. Meanwhile, before we get to the flooding, there is some other really big stuff going on right now, and uh, North Korea really just stepped in it. I thought we were good, dude. I thought we had a good understanding. I thought they calmed down. I think yeah. things were fine. Yeah, and then they went and did this. I said, you know. Some, well, you know what it was, though. It, sometimes it, I said do this, and then it, I hit the thing, it, it, Chase, it, but I hit the thing, and nothing happened. Well, what happened was things calmed down. Then Donald talked about Afghanistan, and then North Korea got <laughs> jealous. And, and then they did this. There we go. Nice. <laughs> Korea released this footage of their missile launch on August 29th. Yeah, so they do this. They do this uh, missile launch on August 29th. Everything's good except for oh wait, shit! It uh, might have gone over Japan. Oh boy! Boxing is alert. All right, South Korean and Japanese media are both saying that North Korea has fired a missile over northern Japan. Can you read that lower third for me, Chris? <laughs> South Korean media. Uh, no go. <laughs> wait, wait, no co, no co, wait, wait no co, <laughs> no co. <laughs> did you notice that before? No, no co. You did not notice no, that before. I didn't notice they're calling North Korea okay. no co. I like actually reading the AP style handbook. Feel free to take a look at it. It's yeah, a lot of dry it's reading. A thing, yeah. It's a thing. Um, and actually, there's a lot of uh, guidance in trying to be you know non biased and try to be neutral and in, in your reporting. That I. Guarantee is probably not in the manual. <laughs> wow. No-co? <laughs> Good catch. Oh, boy. The Pentagon is currently investigating. A senior U.S. official said that there had been some movement suggesting an immediate missile was being prepared, but there is not yet any confirmation about how far this missile flew. Um, Julian, I'm going to come to you on this. You've worked for two presidents. Let's stop here. We'll get more. We'll, we'll get something more. Oh, that was a Fox News specialist. Yeah. Here, here's a little. This is a little. This is a little oh, more okay. like hands on. Okay. This is at 6:04 a.m. This is a. This is a vlogger on YouTube. Oh, is this? Uh, what's his name? Missile launched. A North Korean missile has been detected. Take cover in a reinforced building. It's 6 a.m. in the morning. It's rudely oh, awake. Got yeah. my phone going, nin, 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 vibrating and going mental. And then there was a, an air raid, this air raid siren going on outside. Could you imagine this? I, I, I'm, I would have a mild squirt in my <laughs> pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can, I can totally understand that. I yeah. mean, honestly, mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's President Trump's stern warning to North Korea, quote, all options are on the table. This comes on the heels of North Korea's ballistic missile launch over Japan, and it's the fourth missile fired in just four days. And the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, says enough is enough. That's it. No country should have missiles flying over them like those 130 million people in Japan. It's unacceptable. They have violated every single U.N. Security Council resolution that we've had. And so I think something serious has to happen. I think something serious has to happen. Will you be proposing new sanctions today? I think we have a lot to talk about today. And so with all of our partners, what we hope is that China and Russia continues to work with us like they have in the past on North Korea. But um, I think enough is enough. 
There you go. Talking tough. Enough is enough. The UN's going to throw some sanctions. In other words, tough guy displays of power are coming. And uh, we got to get ready. U.S. defense giants Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, we hear, are seeing a huge surge in sales. They've both been awarded $900 million contracts by the Pentagon. This comes as U.S. North Korea nuclear tension continues to simmer. Next, and Samira Khan takes... So we're spending all this money. Their, go- their stocks are going up. We're going to do some tough guy demonstrations. That's what's coming next with North Korea. That's my red book. We're not going to go to war, but we're going to have some tough guy demos. Unless they want to fire off another missile that blows along- the wrong way. Your buddy... My good friend. Clapper, who's now a... Never mind. Jimmy Clapper? I can't even go there. But the former DNI director uh, says that he thinks it was an accident. That it was just... They didn't intend for it to go that way. Oh. Yeah. What a what a hell of an accident. Anyways, more in the overtime about that. But uh, I, I do want to talk about Harvey. Um, Hurricane Harvey. There's so many ways for this show to cover something like this. I want to start with a little historical perspective. And uh, I was going to go grab this clip and then... And then um, Rachel Meadow. Oh, Rachel. She managed to actually kind of put it all very concisely. So uh, here's her take on it. And, and, and we go back now to 1935 to get a little historical perspective on what it's like around that area. Okay, this was, uh, remarkably, this is, a, this is an incredible time to have footage like this. But this is real footage from 1935. Look at this. The streets of Houston, Texas, the whole city turned into a maelstrom of flood. People clinging to roofs and awnings. Wow. A hundred residential blocks and twelve business streets inundated, raging floodwaters twelve feet deep. Suburbs like an inland sea, clinging for life to a tree. Life-saving by lifeboat, castaways on rooftops. Like a rescue at sea, people taken out of windows. A hundred thousand acres flooded, two millions in damage, a score of lives lost. In the heart of Houston, guests in a hotel are marooned without food for 40 hours. A cable is rigged between electric light poles, an aerial line to carry supplies. Wow. All this was caused by a tremendous downpour, 15 inches of rain. Buffalo Bayou runs through the heart of Houston. It rose seven inches an hour. And when the bayou does that, Houston is in for a flood. This one, the worst and wildest Houston has ever had. That was 1935 in Houston, Texas. And as you heard the announcer say there, all that was caused by 15 inches of rain. What Houston tonight is coping with is more like 50, 50, 50 inches of rain. As of today, this storm in Houston has produced the single largest rainfall amount from a single storm that has ever been recorded in the continental United States. When Texas broke that record today, it surpassed the previous record, which had stood since 1978. Let's pause here. <clears throat> you can see where uh, there is a uh, history <laughs> yeah. of just incredible storms in this area. Absolutely. Uh, 78, 50, 79, 2001, all just monstrous storms. Which was also a storm that hit Texas. Texas has a history, a a geographic destiny to be the target of major tropical storms in this country that can be incredibly damaging and that in particular can cause huge flooding. A geographic destiny. That's accurate. It is very accurate. I mean, if you look at the Gulf of Mexico and you look how storms manifest and they use the warm water of the Gulf and they hit the coast and Houston's right on the coast, this is what happens. But after that gigantic flood in Houston in 1935, 
Uh, and actually, that one in 35 had followed another catastrophic Houston flood just six years earlier in 1929. Yeah. Uh, after it happened twice in six <laughs> yeah, years, yeah. By, after 1935, Houston was so fed up that they decided to make a significant change to how that city could cope with these kinds of challenges. In 1938, they passed the Rivers and Harbors Act in Texas. The Rivers and Harbor Act. And that created, among other things, the Harris County Flood Control District. And in the 1940s, that local authority in Harris County, where Houston is, uh, and the Army Corps of Engineers, they built two gigantic dams far out west from central Houston. Way out west. They built these two dams to hold back big reservoirs. That map doesn't really do it justice because Texas is so big. Well, not only that, but the metropolitan area of Houston really begins on the outskirts, the west side, in a small town called Katy. Not really small. But it literally will take you four hours of driving yeah, yep, at the speed yep. limit to go from the edge of one of that town to the other. Yeah. And it's nothing but city. I mean, this it's mm-hmm. huge. People In what was then a, a couple of unpopulated corners of Harris County and Fort Bend County. Today, those areas are no longer unpopulated areas. Housing development and suburban sprawl has pushed people that far west from Houston and beyond. But those two dams are still there. One of them is 11 miles long. One of them is 13 miles long. And when the storms still inevitably come and the rain falls and the rivers rise in southeast Texas, those two dams are still at the heart of how Houston copes. The two man-made reservoirs that build up behind those dams that they built in the 1940s, those are still what protects Houston from the uncontrollable inundation of floodwater. And those reservoirs are now famous nationwide because of what's happening in Houston, which this with this largest rainfall event in U.S. history. The two reservoirs behind those two dams, they're called the Attics Reservoir and the Barker Reservoir. Today, the Attics started overflowing this morning. It's the first time that's ever happened at the Attics Reservoir. Uh, the other one, the Barker Reservoir, they thought that that might start overflowing tomorrow. Authorities now say they expect that actually to happen tonight. Hey there, I'm Chris. So that sort of gives you a little, wow. little isn't that an interesting little history of it too, though? I, I actually appreciate that very much yeah. from Rachel. Yeah, it's I thought very, that was a good cognizant piece from her. Very so, good piece. Yeah, and then we have this here. And we're standing along the Attics Reservoir, this area being compared to one of the Great Lakes. And I'll just let the speech, the pictures speak for themselves. It's really just horrifying to be standing here, this body of water. This is a four-lane street that you could see has been completely engulfed. And there is just water as far as the eye can see down this street and to my left and to my right. And just horrifying to know that this is beginning to spill over the dam and, and some of its banks as we've been reporting all morning. Uh, we're on the western side. Of- we've had some serious flooding here in Washington. Yes, we have. Uh, down in the south end near Olympia. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. 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 I was just going to talk about that. Actually, yeah. Yeah. That was a major that was a major moment of our lives, really, here in Washington. Oh, yeah. No, it cut off. The, it shut down I-5 for a few days. I mean, mm-hmm. the way we talk about it is like is insignificant to what is happening in Houston. Right oh, now. yeah, for sure. I mean, it is just like not yeah. even the same. Yeah, uh, there is a little silver lining. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but uh, let's go a little back and just back a, uh, a few days, really. And let's start with uh, Trump's response to all of this, because I think long term, that might be the most politically influential thing. President Trump traveling to storm ravaged Texas today. 
to offer some reassurances to the Lone Star State. Thank you, everybody. I just want to say we love you. You are special. We're here to take care. Can you do me a favor real quick? Yeah, bud. Uh, can you Google search Donald Trump hats? Is he is he actually selling that? Oh, year? I don't need to Google it. Yes, he is. I already, yeah, $40. So that is a real thing. That's not a joke. No, that is not a joke. That is a real thing. So uh, he is selling. <clears throat> I've sold some merch before. Yeah, yeah. No, the USA 45 hat made in the USA, by the way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. $40. So uh, the way that usually works is uh, right before the merch goes on sale, you get a couple of early runs to, to do quality inspection. And if the quality is good. You can you can basically say like well actually this is what happened personally with me is comes in the first print not so good second print gets a little bit better third print they usually nail it and uh, then you get to keep that that one because it's fine right and so uh, I think that's probably what Trump did he gets shipped the hat he knows he's going to be down there he knows the cameras are on him because of this entire thing he's very rating savvy and he's wearing the new swag. As an advertising and this thing. is from his official DonaldJTrump.com uh, proceeds. I mean, you know, go to his how else do I interpret this? But this appears to me as and, – and don't say it's not advertising. No. It's – he intentionally is wearing this hat. So there was He's a, wearing this hat intentionally. I, I don't know if you have a video of this or not. No, no. I, him, I have no No, no, no. I mean this. like – no, no. What, I was, what I'm about to say, uh, him and Melania, his, uh, his wife, first lady – you know, they come down the, the ladder from Air Force One, um, not ladder, uh, staircase, and she's wearing a Flotus hat. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, well, I did notice the new Flotus and hat. And I, I asked myself, I'm like... Is the Flotus hat for sale? I don't know. Um, I don't check. Can you check? Because I saw the Flotus hat, too. I like the Flotus hat. I've never <laughs> noticed. I've never seen a Flotus hat A lot before. of uh, Make America Great Again Yeah, lo- no no Flotus I, hat. They honestly, should sell that. I'm s- I'd, get that, I'd get that for the lady. I'm not saying it negatively or positively, but... I felt weird by I've seen presidents wear hats before, so that doesn't really bother me too much. I mean, Bush has done it, Obama's done it, they've all done it, especially when they get in the chopper and they fly over the disaster area. You always see that. It's a casual look. But seeing the first lady wear a flotus hat kind of like I felt weird about that. Oh jeez. You know, it I just did. Let's get real for me. a second. Let's get real. Felt very Have real. you ever come across uh and, and and I know for you it's a little bit of a different situation, but have you ever come across like like memorabilia from your grandparents, uh, yeah, long like time newspaper ago. clippings yeah, or yeah, yeah, like my my grandpa had a whole bunch of shit about Bush Senior, whole bunch of stuff about Bush Senior, just some really funny stuff from like newspaper clippings right. and political cartoons. They're really they're really just like a, 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 a like a snapshot of time. Oh yeah, and so part of me wonders like, should I be buying some of these? Not because I want to wear them. But because we will get to a point as a society where we will look back and we will have, we will all have a good collective laugh that our president was selling fucking baseball caps. Like, like we're going to have a laugh about this at some point, you know, like we're really like and, and, I, and, and I want this memorabilia. Like, I feel like these are going to be collector's items because once this guy's out of office, these things aren't going to sell. I, this whole this whole situation. This with is this is a this is, this is this is the next Beanie Babies. You buy these things now; they're worth ten times the purchase price twenty years from now on eBay. You know what sucks? Or the Oasis. Depending I'm gonna on. I'm gonna I'm gonna be real and and, and talk about what. All sucks right, Don. Here. You know the the news media. Yeah. News media talks about 
you know, they'll talk about the hat. They'll talk about Melania's hat. They'll talk about the heels that she wore. The, I really hate this. They'll, they'll talk about all these things. I hate talking about hair. Okay. I hate talking about appearance. You know, I hate it. But I also, you know, but we're not talking about what's really important. And, and that is the people of Houston. The well, we are Houston, about to. We are. I know we are. We are. But what I'm saying is even the president is is honestly guilty of this where – you know, on Sunday, just look at it. Just look at his timeline, and I'm not quoting a news story here. Just look at his timeline from his tweets on Sunday going into Monday, and it's all over the map. It's not about hey, let's do what we can for the Houston area. Let's raise some money. Let's let's do something. It goes from uh, it goes from the the storm. Then it goes to about taxes. Mm-hmm. Then it, then it talks about Russia. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then it talks about. Then he has a tweet about the election, and and you know it's it. This is one of the most biggest disasters in our country's history. It's, it has the potential of that right now. People have died. People are, we're going to find more people that are dead. The uh, today the it's estimate just, of damage it makes me sick. Get it ready really for this. Does. Get ready for this. You ready for this? You ready for this? You, it, what do we what do we always say on the show? Show me the money. Get this one. Show me the money. I got a link in the show notes. Uh, people are estimating right now, the experts are estimating damages between 70 and 90 billion. Not surprised. And I'm billion, Chase. And what sucks is about 70 to 80 percent of the people of that area did not have flood insurance. And I know there are some of you out there that are going to yell out and say, well, that's their own damn fault. And you know what? You're probably right. But do you also realize that some of those people wanted to get flood insurance but couldn't? You know what? Let's do the human side of this for a second. Yeah. Um, do I have uh, let's see. tropical storm? Harvey is a lead once again. You know what? I'm going to jump ahead. Let's play this clip. Let's play this. I learned about the hurricane since last week, but I wasn't aware that it was going to be this big. I found out that it was going to be life-threatening. It was this morning when it went to Category 3. My friends, they've been telling me to, to move out, but I... You know, it's really easy to say, well, these these stupid sons of bitches should have gotten the hell out of Dodge when they heard about the it's hurricane. It's very, very hard. But you know what? If 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 that was happening here, I would be stuck. My business is here. My kids are here. My home is here. Yeah. I live paycheck to paycheck. Like, I can't, I can't not. I would be stuck. It's I weir- would be these people. It's a weird thing when you see a storm on a map, on a satellite map, heading towards you, and you're hoping that it's not going to hit you, but it's going to hit somebody. You know, it's going to impact somebody's life. That's a weird thought. It is a weird thought, isn't it? Like, I hope it doesn't hit us, but it's going to hit somebody. Yeah, but it, yeah, exactly. By saying I hope it doesn't hit us means somebody else has to get hit. Yeah. <sighs> to, I know to it's move deep. Out, I know. But, uh, I'm old. I'm stubborn. I I didn't want to listen to them. I believe it's not too late to live to to get away from here, but I'm just going to write it out. So uh, there was a mandatory evacuation order where he lives, but he chooses to stay in his home in uh, Victoria, Texas, as Harvey's getting closer. The last hurricane that was supposed to come through here, I think it was Ike, they made us evacuate. Could you imagine a situation that is so dire coming your way that you're willing to drill holes in the side of your house to board it up with really tacky-looking pieces of wood? Like, just just zoom back here for a second and think about that. Like, even the idea that they are just drilling holes in the side of their house. Yeah. Like, that would make me so sad to have to damage my home like that. But the way I would see it is... Well, you have to. Well, yeah. 
It's like at that point, a, a small hole you yeah, can patch up. Absolutely. You can do it later. But that's literally yeah. their reality right yeah, now. Yeah, it is. Back in the day, we went all the way to Killeen, Texas, and nothing happened. He said, so uh, last time there was a situation like this. See, and this is we where... We evacuated and I, nothing I, happened. I, I, man, it is a terrible human trait that we have, and, and that is, oh, well, last time we we went all this way and nothing happened, so we're just going to stay this time. Things are not comparable. Yeah, but that's a pretty natural human thing. I know, I know it's very natural to do, and I'm guilty of it. I'm very guilty of that. But in, in a situation like this, I mean, it's just like, you got to go, you got to go. Yeah. I've been living here in, uh, in Texas since 82, and uh, this is the, the big one. That's the thing, is this is the big one for my life. Yeah. This is the big one. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm personally afraid for, uh, you know, hopefully I'm not alive. You're thinking of the earthquake? Yeah. Yeah. It will happen. Everybody says it's coming here. It will. We've grown up our entire lives t- being told two things. There, we are way overdue for a huge earthquake in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, there's some volcanoes that are due to go off about 200 years ago. Yeah. I, I went That's through, what we grow up with. I went through a major earthquake in 1989 in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I was I was actually down there during that earthquake. I didn't grow up there, but I was in the area. Yeah. And um, it was bad. I, I, I couldn't sleep for weeks. I was very scared. Um, I was young, so I was sleeping at yeah. the floor of my parents. <laughs> Um, it's one of those situations where I hope I never have to live through something like that again because not only so many people lost their lives and there was so much damage and so much everything, it really strikes fear that you got to be prepared. Like, I really hope everybody listening has a three-day emergency kit worth water. Uh, We have at home a a get-out bag, a go bag. Basically, I have already instructed my wife, you know, hey, because I could be stuck in Seattle for maybe a day or two. I mean, who knows, right? Grab the bag. You know, we have a, a meeting location, you know, to try to get to. We know we're not going to be able to reach each other by phone, by by anything. you got to be ready. Yeah. People. Especially the cellular networks. Yeah. That's oh, gonna, yeah. Those are going to collapse. Those are gone. Yeah. Yeah. The, the big one. I'm a little bit afraid because it's the first time uh, that I'm going through something big like this. And uh, I don't know what to really expect. This is my wife's uh, prayer room. We just uh, took everything out. Just in case it, when uh, everything gets tough, tough gets going, we're gonna, it's gonna be our shelter. My wife wanted us, all of us, to leave town, and I decided not to. And uh, I know it's gonna, it's gonna take time to try to find, find gas, whatever. I mean, I don't know where, what store is open right now to, to get gas or whatever. Tonight, I expect to be a. Uh, a reality check for me. I know wind damage is gonna be what I get most worried about. I don't know if the water is gonna get contaminated. I know it's gonna be rough. For them. You know, when we talk about immigration, the uh, the story that this guy, you know, their 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 living situation is so tight that this is their best option to basically live in an apocalypse. I mean, we could talk about immigration a lot, but like. The reality, like, I'm connecting a lot with this guy's story. And I got to tell you, like, uh, he's got no better choice. And the only thing he has is this home. It's the only thing he's got. And if that's destroyed, then what's the point? Next couple of weeks. Mexicans say there's no, no feria, meaning that there's no, no money, no funds to, to just pick up and live like that. It's a reality. I mean, I mean, as far as my house, there's no feria right now. I mean... We we live pay- paycheck by paycheck. We don't have the luxury of just getting up and and vamos. No, 
again. So that's that's the human side of the people that are stuck down there, and uh, it's it's even today as we record, uh, it's moved, it's shifting around. Tropical storm Harvey is a lead once again, hammering the Gulf Coast after making landfall for a second time. Severe flash flooding hit Beaumont and Port Arthur, Texas, this morning after hours of heavy rain. The local sheriff says Port Arthur is cut off is cut off by flooding, and people there are now going into what he calls survival mode. East Texas and Louisiana are now seeing the worst of Harvey. Houston's actually seeing some sun today after days of record rainfall. That's a little bit of a silver lining. and uh, It's actually now a, a tropical depression. Yeah. It's actually, yeah, 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 it's getting... Thank you. But yeah. yeah, in fact, it first came in as like, this is going to be a massive hurricane. Then it got downgraded to a tropical... And then it just stalled and re, re got powerful. Yeah. And... But the problem really was was the rain. That was really the problem. Right. Uh, and uh, the issue is with the rain comes massive flooding. As the storm lingers over Texas, the attention now turns to the dangerous rain. Remnants of Harvey are dumping up to six inches of rain an hour, and it will not be over anytime soon. It's a serious storm. It's going to last four or five days, and quite frankly, this is day day one. The National Weather Service has issued a flash flood emergency for catastrophic life-threatening flooding for portions of Brazoria, Fort Bend, and Harris counties, including the city of Houston. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how far he can make it. Hopefully, for his sake, it will uh, go up a little bit. That's not worth it. I mean, it's not worth it for your vehicle, certainly not worth it for your life. <laughs> a lot of video of Texas drivers driving their trucks through the, through the flooding. The Harris County Sheriff says hundreds of people have been rescued overnight. Houston police have confirmed one woman's death when she drove her car into high water. The streets are treacherous. It, it makes absolutely no sense uh, for anyone to be out on the road. Yeah, one of the things that I was seeing, I was watching a lot of local reporting feeds, which I, I'm, we're going to do a little bit of uh, talk about this here in a moment, but some of the, some of the most amazing things I've seen uh, that actually at one point made me cry while I was watching all of this was some of the incredible heroics of local reporters. I'm going to get there in a second. Uh, but uh, that that right there, just one of the things that I was watching, I was watching this news feed and this reporter is standing out on this on this freeway where there's massive flooding. And she's like, one of the things that people don't realize is that before this, there's no problem. These guys are doing 80 miles per hour and then they hit this and they're completely getting lost in this. They hit it. Right as she says that somebody comes in, oh my gosh. hits the water. It was just a disaster because it's just there's so much water everywhere. This is particularly visually heavy, but this is an incredible. It, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it just, it really bothers me that some people, and I, I hate to be general, but it's like a, you know, everybody gets so concentrated and hyped up in their own world, meaning, you know, their own little bubble, their own family, their own work. And I and I get that. And sometimes it's really easy to lose the big focus and picture of things. But like when there's a big storm and you could see roads are flooded. I mean, I don't understand the mentality of some people that go around the road close sign and, and go and I just know. keep going. And You know, and I think it's because they've never seen anything like it in their life. Or they think it won't affect them. Or, I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I take, a look, take a look at this footage yeah. and look at, look at the levels of water in this. This is one of those subdivisions just off of Interstate 45 uh, that has been here in the town of Dickinson that has been flooded out. How would you describe this scene to the audio audience? Like it's it looks like chest a lake. Level, chest it, level. It, it looks like a lake, and there's a house popping out. Uh, it it by, really by it's that so came much water in overnight. Uh, and this is an area where we've seen boats crisscrossing, and 
you know, the images here that you're seeing speak for themselves is just how devastating uh, the floodwaters. And this is an area where people went to bed last night. Thinking it's that as they tall were going to be- as a street sign. Incredible. Uh, and the huh? sign on top of that, that's about seven, eight feet tall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so much water has fallen. I, I've heard this. That it's enough to cover the continuous United States of America with two inches of water. Okay. Wow. wow. It's enough water to fill Salt Lake, the Great Salt Lake, and Salt Lake City twice mm. over. Yeah. I mean, it's Jeez. that much water. Now, there was a moment in all of this that uh, floored me, really floored me. I've never really seen anything like this on live CNN, and I had to share it with you guys. This is really, you probably How seen that was this. four feet of water to go get them food on the first date. Yeah, that's a lot of shit. But y'all sitting here, y'all trying to interview people during their worst times. Like, that's not the smartest thing to do. Like, people are really breaking down, and y'all sitting here with cameras and microphones trying to ask us what the fuck is wrong with us. So I'm so sorry. And you really trying to understand with the microphone still in my face, with me shivering cold, with my kids wet, and you still putting a microphone in my face. Sorry. Russia Flores, uh, it sounds like... How that... I mean, so that was a bad moment, but the media did have good moments, too. Uh, There was uh, this moment, of course. Welcome back. You're watching CNN. I'm Brooke Baldwin here talking all about Texas in moments like these with the unprecedented flooding we're seeing there. Of course, Brooke Baldwin sitting in her comfy Georgia studio, and uh, she has to hype this up to no degree. It's so obnoxious because... When it comes to what to real heroes, the local news reporters are really doing some remarkable stuff. I'm going to play it for you in a moment. And, of course, the CNN guy. The CNN guy's got the camera rolling. And he remarkably – he does do something remarkable. But yeah, it, listen to Brooke just milking this. It's not just about capturing the stories and images, but also about just rolling up your sleeves and helping your neighbor when needed. She says in her perfect white outfit, her studio-done hair and makeup with the air conditioner running in the background. While navigating through a flooded neighborhood in Dickinson, Texas, this is just outside of Houston, our, one of our CNN crews heard a voice, heard this cry for help, and that is when CNN's Ed Lavendera and his producer Jason Morris actually swooped in to help rescue this elderly couple from their flooded home. The raw, stunning moment played out live on air. We were about to leave this neighborhood. There was a woman who had kind of flagged us down that her and her two elderly parents were still stuck inside the home. So I'm going to put the mic down. We're going to help them try to get back into into the boat so we can get them out of here. So I'm going to, I'm going to put the microphone down uh, while, while we help them get into the boat. You got it? How are you doing, sir? So the CNN crew helps pull this elderly gentleman and they're, you know, what's remarkable about it is they are, listen to how respectful they are to this guy the entire time. So this guy, he's trying to pull, he first he asks, is it okay if I pull you up into the boat? And then he, he realizes he can't do it. How are your arms feeling? Okay. Jason, you want to come up here and help? I can help lift you if that's okay. They, again, ask the guy, is it okay, sir, if I help lift you? But they're, like, how remarkable is how respectful they're being to these people as they're saving their lives? Like, it's it's really touching. Be, be, because at that point, it's, it's and this is. It's not so, about the ratings, right? It's, well, I mean, sorry. CNN's getting, making I'm it about get, that. I'm getting a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where. It's just a matter of just be yeah. doing the right thing. So uh, just doing the right thing. So you watch this. 
this reporter is covering she this is the one I was talking about that was talking about the people driving too fast. Uh, this is a clip of her reporting about a truck driver who is stuck in the water and then she begins it begins to hit her that because of her this guy's life is about to be saved. That water was moving. Oh yeah. That kind of flow is like a it's like a river, a very very strong current. Checking on our friend in the truck here. Uh, the good news, oh, he's he's crawling over to the other side here. Hold on, he's asking, he's asking. Sir, they're putting the boat in just now. They're on their way. I cannot imagine how terrifying it would be to be stuck right there right now. Put yourself in that place. Your car is filling with water. Help is on the way. He is incredibly lucky. There is help on the way. But that's only because I flagged down the incident response team uh, or the, the Harris County Sheriff's Office. Uh, they weren't headed here. They didn't know he was down here. Uh, that's kind of remarkable. Um, I mean... Just, some, some people are, 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 you know, in the chat room, and I'm not going to call it specifics, but that and they're kind of bagging a little bit. Oh, you know, the the cameraman's keeping the shot, or you know, well, you know, that's why what you're going to do. Well, we're going to do like. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you you got to show. I mean, know, with yeah. all the shit that we we see every single day, you have to show what people are actually made of. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's very easy for us to put on the glasses uh, and being cynical and think that, oh, they're all in it for the ratings all the time. Well, and part of it, I bet... bet Sometimes you got to turn it down. I bet, yeah. I bet bet a couple of them now are legitimately staged. Like, I bet that's happening. That's probably happening for ratings, yeah. Totally. Uh, But not all. And you can't can't be a broad stroke. You know, and I can tell you, I recently... It's not not really super comparable, but it's it's in the ballpark... Uh, I went and I went down to Oregon and uh, I decided to view the solar eclipse in the totality oh, range, yeah, yeah. and uh, that hit me super hard. Like, like I didn't expect it. Like, I had a drone and I had a drone. I had, and I had two other cameras going, oh, and as awesome. it happens, like boom, it hits me, and it's like, oh my god! Like, I didn't expect this to be like a big thing, but I had to still keep shooting. Yeah, like I kept shooting. I kept talking to the vlog. The I moment kept, I kept, I kept yeah. flying my drone. But like at the same time, I'm like, holy fuck! I'm having like a spiritual goddamn moment right now, Jesus! And then like it passes, and I but I keep working because the whole reason I'm there is to capture the moment, and I'm not gonna blow it because I'm having some sort of psychological breakdown because all of a sudden I've just seen the entire fucking heavens laid out in front of me. I'm gonna keep capturing it, so it is possible to capture a guy getting pulled down in a river and also still have compassion for the situation. Trust me. And we have now some incredible footage out of Houston. From our affiliate KHOU that shows crews rescuing a semi driver out of the cab of his truck stuck in floodwaters. Let's take a look at that. For the Harris County Sheriff's Office now approaching this semi that has been stalled here, uh, headed east or headed westbound in the eastbound lanes. In some way, the semi truck driver is, is actually better off. Uh, because that damn that damn semi is so heavy, and there's so many tires it's not on it, be pushed over. it's moving around. Yeah. Right, I'm going to show you footage in a moment of people what happens when they're in cars. But this, so the the boat the boat comes along, the sheriff's hoverboat comes along. They pull this guy out. Imagine uh, 
the level of fear he has here. But these uh, kudos, incredible kudos to these two sheriff's deputies who are risking themselves on this boat in very deep water to pull this driver to safety. We want to thank all first responders. Media superheroes here with capes. But actually, seriously, check this out. Like, this is a real moment here. So this is a CNN guy. Uh, he looks behind him. The camera guy pans over and look at that. Look how screwed that truck looks right there. Like, watch this. Look at this. Get out, dude. I think. Did he you drive gotta, right gotta, into uh, it? Yeah, he he drove right into it. A power cord. The guy rolls down his window. He grabs. It. He he's uh, asking for extension cable to use as a rope. Look at that truck, dude. It's just getting blown down. I know. It, it, getting, got a rope? It's buoyant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It floats. Not that long. Now, what you so first of all, the, it's a it's a production camera, so it's in a fixed thing, so they have to undo that. But so they undo it here a second. They move over. Of course, there's Hold a goddamn sign in the way. Isn't <laughs> that go figure? They didn't weren't ready for the shot. Right, buddy, well, no, you're not ready to no. jump in action. No. Backwards. So look at that. They're using their power oh cords. They pull the guy out no, of the cab. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. We got a car in a ditch. We just pulled a fellow out. She's calling nine one one. Whew. Are you all right now, buddy? Yeah. All right, take your breath, and we're going to pick you up. We're going to, want to get, get you off of this bank. Okay? Oh, yes, we're going to get you off of this bank. <sighs> the guy's truck's just floating by in the background. We just literally rescued this guy out. You can see his car, John. I don't know. And by the way, I'm going to give this guy benefit of the doubt. Maybe he didn't see the, the flooded road up ahead of him. You know, he was... Dr- yeah, it, it, it appeared. It looked he... like a road, didn't it? Look at this. Yeah. looked just like a road. And his truck just went in, and it's now it's going clear down water. that ravine. Yeah. And we just pulled him out of the, the, the ravine. It happens within seconds. This is why it's so dangerous right now to be out. The guy pulls out of the intersection. Next thing you know, he's going down the road. Yeah. Okay. Into the dry. That's a local reporter for CNN. Well, hey, uh, I want to thank these guys for saving my life. Thank you. Where are you from, buddy? Winnie, Texas. Winnie, Texas. So you yeah. guys have been hit pretty hard in Winnie, Texas. Yeah. What's your name? Jerry Sumrall. Jerry, somebody needs to come and get you. Jerry I'm staying at the motel right up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, so, uh, of course, here's uh, now uh, the, the most recent stuff is, of course, Port Arthur. It is a calamity. We are witnessing people being rescued from their homes in bare feet, shivering, some people without clothes. You're going to be able to see some people that are shirtless, some people in their pajamas. You're going to be able to see, the guy says, which is kind of a pervy way. <laughs> you could have said it differently. You're going to, hold on, let's go back. You're going to be able to see. You're going to see everything. <laughs> Come on, man. So, hold on. better words. <laughs> able to see some people. Yeah, there it is right there. Hold on. Let's go back. Hold on. You're going to be able to see some people that are shirtless. <laughs> Why does he got to say it like I mean, that? Come on, man. Why does he say it like that? Really? Oh, man. You, I mean, you can paint a story. People will understand. You don't have to be so descriptive. So, I mean, come on, man. You know, when it rains like this, it's not like it's just going to dry up in the next There's couple of days. There's something no. we haven't seen for five days, and that's the sun, and it's allowing the rest. So this is today. So there's actually some sun in Houston. It's allowing the rescue crews, just like the one I'm with, to really get out there and do their work. The area where we are is north of the Attics Reservoir, one of the two that was spilling over. Houston flood officials telling us in a press conference yesterday that folks in these areas should expect to be flooded for the next four to five weeks. The water you see here could... Let that sink in. Four to five weeks. That's October. 
That's October. Yikes. I mean, then you start thinking about normalcy at some point, right? You know, and, and how people are going to want to rebuild and get back to life. I mean, that means Halloween. That means Thanksgiving, possibly. That means maybe Christmas, too. Wow. It's going to be a bad Christmas. You know, and, and that's... <sighs> you know, and what gets me about all of these stories, like it happened with Katrina and it's going to happen again, is yeah. what about in 100 days? Yeah. What, how's it, what's the story going to be in 100 days? What's the story going to be? But there is a much bigger health risk in areas affected by Harvey. Let's go back to Nora in downtown Houston for that. Thank you, Margaret. That's right. The devastating floodwaters in Texas are raising several major health concerns this morning. More than 17,000 people are in shelters. More than 8,000 of them are here in Houston's main convention center. Health hazards in this disaster are mounting both in the short and long term. Dr. David Purse is the physician director of Houston's. You just get standing water like that. Uh, bad things can happen. Part of me... Uh, Part of me daydreams in a way about a, about a about a version of of my life where this is the only thing I do, and I just go do the show from down there until December, right? And I just tell you what's going on because I feel like after the next week, it's gonna the coverage of this is is gonna just drop off dramatically. It's gonna drop it, off dramatically. It, it happened with Katrina in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It happens every time, and, and there are still parts of of New Orleans. Where they have yeah. never recovered, and there is a story that happens in these places. the the peop the way people live transforms. It's not like things just go back to the way they were. And there is a story that doesn't get told there over and over again. And it's it's a sad, depressing story, but it's also one that's extremely inspiring. And it's one that I feel like could be easily documented, giving all of the ways that we could publish content via YouTube and all of the ways I know how. I really honestly believe like there could be a version of my life where I, 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 I pick up the hydraulic jacks on my RV and I drive down to Texas and I do this show for six months from Texas and I just report on the ground. And I have – but, you know, that's not the way it works. But And I wish it was because we really need – we really need somebody down there keeping us up to date on what the hell is really going on. And maybe all of this various citizen journalism will eventually get us there. But if you're somebody out in the audience that could be our boots and our eyes and our ears and our reporter on the ground that could maybe even send us clips from time to time of local news or your thoughts, let me know. Go to discord.me slash Jupiter Colony and uh, ping me in the hair care channel and let me know if you could do that. I would really like to talk to you because I feel like this is a story that's going to go away and it's just beginning. And the storms aren't necessarily done either. Yeah. Anyways, I, I really I really would I would really like to see that that yeah. that aspect of this change. You know, and 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 you know, it's it's one of those things guys that, you know, we're we're not trying to talk about this to to bring you down, <laughs> you know, and make you feel bad, but really just talk about real life. And you know, we we especially on this show, are, it's so easy for us to lose hope in people, lose hope in our country, lose hope in the world, uh, You know, especially when you have North Korea maybe possibly accidentally firing missiles. What if they accidentally fire a missile and it hits Seoul? You know, like these kind of major things. But um, at the end of the day, you know, it's called mutual respect. It's called uh, loving each other and trying to be the best people that we can be. Yeah, and part of what makes it all really like something that you can buy into is the fact that we don't have a sponsor that makes us report in a certain way. We don't have a particular agenda that we want to push towards you. We can you. be real. 
we just want to make you guys happy. That's really our that we just want to we we really want to create a people's history. Yeah, a people's history that uh, in twenty five thirty years from now, hopefully, will be somewhat interesting to listen to. That will record what the hell went on here, right? According to the people, not according to the people that get to write history. Yeah, and it's made possible by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter, where we do have various different levels, including the level that gets you into Chase's sack. That's right. Hello, lovely Club Thirty Three. I know it's been a crazy week. It really, really has. Lots of stuff going on. And we got some great feedback in the sack this week. Mr. Baker, the clerk, writes in and says, Hey, guys, how devastating was Hurricane Harvey? It's terrible what has happened to all of those poor people. Just wanted to mention that and Melania Trump's shoes. Boy, oh, oh boy. The hat, not the hat. <laughs> boy, oh boy. I'm glad those are trending news assign the heartache. Uh, alongside the heartache. Jeez, yeah, uh, right. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it. You're absolutely right, Baker. I mean... Like I was saying earlier, we need to concentrate on what's important. Yeah, it's weird with the hats and it's weird with the heels, but in the big scope, it, it doesn't matter. By the way, real-time update, it was episode 81 that we really talked about, not a trolley, not 88. At, or AT, I'm not sure. Uh, just wanted to send you guys some huge, big love from your Aussie patrons awesome. down under. Right on. Good die, T. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was, that was passable. Oh no! Uh, now we're they all listeners. No, stop! No, not, stop! Oh, it. I, it's I, getting I, bad. I won't do it. Uh, there are listeners around the world who love your insight into the American political climate. It helps us get a better understanding of what is happening in the world. Thank you, Big Lee. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, A.T. Rat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Veratuna writes in, says, hey, okay, well, stories that I'm interested in hearing more about this week are Silkway Airlines. More is coming to light on that. More revelations about Wasserman and Awan mm. and some smashed hard drives mm-hmm. from the horse's mouth, as they say. And I know Unfilter has never really covered it, but I am a little curious as to why... But Netanyahu vows to never remove Israeli settlements from the West Bank, saying, quote, we're here to stay forever. Sounds like a grim statement for the Palestinians' hope of freedom and independence. Yeah. I'll tell you why we didn't cover that. There's nothing new there at all. Ah. But, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, he also goes on to ask, why has Ooh. Unfiltered not decided to cover Israel in any meaningful way and talked about their tact involvement in Syria? Wow. Their inroads in U.S. politics actually, and their odd alliance with Saudi Arabia? I would, I would dispute that. But I would actually also say, if you have, to the point of Syria— that that I would particularly like to know what is out there that we haven't covered because uh, I also believe Israel, as any major country uh, that has a stake in that area, would. <laughs> uh, I I, I got to figure they probably have some role in Syria. Yeah. Had you watched Rick and Morty? Oh yes. Did you watch uh, the uh, the one where uh, Rick basically uh, plays a uh, um, uh, what's it called? Not scare. What's that horror movie one where they riffed on? Where he, oh, oh, Saw, Saw, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you see the line in there about Israel? There's no, a, there's I missed a good it. Rick and Morty line in there okay. about Israel. I missed it. Yeah, Veratunda, uh, I refer you to that. Uh, there are lots of other things to cover, and it will be the anniversary of 9-11 soon. Damn, I got a ding on that Veratunda. You get double, the triple ding. Happy birthday, 9-11! And, and you too, Chris. Uh, and soon, between the UK suppressing reports and the US administration being very quiet on the Saudi question, opinions are shifting. Thank you, Mr. Veratunda. And then finally, from Cops Rule, hey, Chase, glad you can make it to Unfilter tonight. What? 
Eh, well, running late, I guess. Uh, I love you guys. Fuck whatever those trolls are saying. Damn, girl. One thing I wanted to hear your opinion on is something really high level, and this has been a question in my mind for a long time. Why doesn't the U.S. government have any kind of, quote, confidence motion available to the House? I know uh, our I know our Congress does not implement a bicameral system in the traditional sense, but I still think it behooves us not to provide a structured method for our representatives to take its own pulse. At this time, I submit my own vote of no confidence. Mm. If you want to be a part of our awesome community Patreon, go over to patreon.com slash unfilter where you can jump into Club 33 right at this second because there's one spot no remaining. No kidding. Just one. Just one left. Just one. Yeah. And we're trying to get to our new goal to do an unfilter supplemental. That would be two shows. A week. Check Two it shows out. A week. Patreon.com slash unfilter. But hey, even if you are not in Club 33, I personally want to say thanks to all of our yes. awesome patrons. Yes. 590 of yeah, them. I know. We picked up some great numbers yeah. so far in the month of August. And thank you. Uh, Seriously. Special thank you. thank you and call out to our new patrons uh, just coming up in a, sh- a few short moments in the overtime. But before we get done with the official main part of the show, it's time for the high note. And uh, I wanted to start the high note in an unusual sort of forced way that's a little awkward. Uh, but, girl, we got to talk about this. I mean, you and I, we probably know this. In fact, I would say we all know this. But every now and then, we just got to talk about it. A new paper suggests sugar may be as addictive as cocaine. Sugar consumption has been linked to drug-like effects, including binging, craving, tolerance, and withdrawal. The latest findings have evoked strong reactions from the medical community, as RT's Brigitte Santos explains from Los Angeles. I kind of feel like anybody that's ever had kids knows this is true. Like, you can just run a little science experiment on your own damn kids. You can have great kids, and then you give them sugar. Right. And then they turn into monsters. It's like this weird reality. You don't even tell them they're getting sugar either. They can just like, like if you give them like a peanut butter and Nutella sandwich and they just eat it, you're like, you don't even say anything about the sugar. They'll just, they won't go to bed at the right time. Let me just put it that way. So uh, it's funny. The reason why I bring it up though is because uh, I'm going to, I'm going to admit something right here on the show. All right. I, I 100% without any doubt believe that sugar is worse for your body than cannabis i yeah i i now i'm not saying smoking's okay or those things right yeah or drinking like really sugary like uh, soda pops with cannabis in them is good obviously because sugar but i am saying that in terms of just how the effect is on your body and the addictive properties i think sugar is stronger and so that's why when there's these reactions these strong anti-marijuana reactions I, I just got to shake my head. Like, how uninformed are these people? But yet, at least according to the AP, it's causing a rift in a small Alaska town. In the summer, this quirky small town in Alaska gets inundated with travelers from cruise ships. Visitors strolling down the quaint Main Street can find restaurants, art galleries, and gift shops, all nestled in historic cabins. Tucked in one of those cabins is a new business that's dividing this tourist town. We're not catering to stoner tourists. We've been open two months and uh, the sky hasn't fallen in Talakitna. And- Joe McEnany is the co-owner of the town's first recreational marijuana store. It took him more than two years to open since Alaska's residents voted to legalize recreational pot in 2014. McEnany says the store follows the town's aesthetics, blending in with other wood cabins. 
He named the store High Expedition Company, a reference to the town's history as a staging area for climbing Denali. As you walked by, you might have noticed there's no pot leaves, there's no big flashing green crosses or anything. It's real subtle, and uh, we have sort of a speakeasy vibe going on here, which tends to fit the town. But those efforts aren't enough for other tourism operators, including Mike Stoltz, who owns a bed and breakfast. My thing is with the kids. Oh, it's the kids. Always the kids. <laughs> My thing is, as a uh, 75-year-old man who has kids are adult, <laughs> uh, all of my kids are in their 30s. Those um, kids. You know, I really worry about the kids. Those uh, kids. My kids who smoke pot. Who owns a bed and breakfast. My thing is with the kids, you're trying to protect the kids growing up here. That was my You know, you think I'm giving this guy a hard time, but stay tuned. I'm not joking. My number one point. Number two point is we have no law. So if somebody gets out of line... We got no law, man. You know, like I mentioned earlier, the trooper's an hour away. Because, you know, somebody might get rowdy smoking an indica. Somebody might get really rowdy when they're watching Netflix and eating Pringles. What are we supposed to do? Stoltz says the pot store should have opened outside the town's historic main strip. He also says that smoking marijuana in public is illegal and tourists aren't familiar with the state law. Alaska state troopers say they've issued no citations for public consumption of marijuana in the first few months the store has been open. I.e. there's been no actual law enforcement issue with this problem. It's not a problem as far as law enforcement's concerned. (laughs) But the rift isn't just among business owners. Christy Stoltz stands on the opposite side of her father. Yeah, his own kid. And supports the marijuana store. I'd be really surprised if people all of a sudden would judge the whole town because there's a marijuana shop. I think that, yeah, Uh, change, nobody likes change. So I think that's a big thing. My dad's an old codger. (laughs) He's also a racist. (laughs) One store causing a big ripple as the expansion of illegal marijuana industry spreads to the country's northernmost state. Robert Bumstead, Associated Press. Did you see those badass jars, by the way? (laughs) Those are pretty epic. So they have these plungers, which means that... uh, Air, right? Yeah, as you consumed... The plant, you could push the plunger further down so there'd be less and less air in the jar. Yeah, it's uh, like a vacuum kind of a thing. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty innovative. Alaska's got it figured out, dude. I got to say they that got it figured out in just watching the horticulture and technology mm-hmm. aspect of this very grow is very fascinating. The whole yeah. industry around it's very fascinating. Yeah, very. And, uh, of course, San Diego is now cracking down on something that we brought up on the show a few weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago on the show, I, I talked about these delivery drivers. NBC did a piece on these delivery drivers in California that deliver pot. You remember us talking about oh, yeah, this? Yeah. And they said, coming soon will be regulation for this delivery market. Do you yeah. remember that? Yes, I do. Well, guess oh, here what? It is? Yeah, yeah. Never here. waste money. Yeah, it's back. Around San Diego, yeah! It's the fastest growing business in California right now, and most of it is not legal, at least not yet. At this moment, there are hundreds of people delivering marijuana around San Diego. 99% of them are breaking the law. You this KUSI's Dan Plant shows us. The city is cracking down before San Diego leaders make it legal. You know what, Chris? If you drive one mile per hour over the speed limit, you're breaking the law. And uh, what law? The yeah. federal law? Yeah. I, yeah. What, well, what if I believe in states' rights? What if I believe, what if I'm a states' rights guy, Chase? Uh, <laughs> pick and choose. It is the latest dilemma when it comes to legalized marijuana. What to do about home delivery? A fast-growing industry that delivers pot faster than Domino's delivers a pizza. Oh! 
storefronts, we're seeing a barrage of illegal delivery services come online, and now the attention has shifted from those storefronts. You know why they call it illegal delivery services? Because they didn't write it into the law. Yeah. And so, therefore, if it's not on the law, it's illegal. It's it's like illegal, like, it's illegal because of a couple of days ago. (laughs) You're right. And and they passed something. And before that, it wasn't illegal. So a few days ago, it's not illegal, and then... It's all of a sudden yeah. illegal. Womp womp. Womp womp. Reclaiming my time. Two illegal delivery <laughs> services. It may be shocking to a lot of people, but look at this. It's called Weed Maps, a Google map for pot delivery. Those dots you see, those are cars delivering cannabis. If you go now, on, is that re- wait, is that real time? Yeah, I think so. It's like you it's could like see, Uber. Yeah. You could see where your closest weed car is? Yeah, that's a thing. Wow. I know. Where have I been? It's going to be big money. See, <laughs> those are cars delivering cannabis. If you go on Weed Maps right now, you can see all of the delivery services that pop up. That's way more convenient than texting a dealer, right? right uh, <laughs> what, what, wait, is this an advertisement for Weed Maps? Let me download that app real quick. Here. <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> you can see all of the delivery services that pop up, and I can guarantee you all, not all those are licensed. In fact, most of them are not licensed, and there OMG, are hundreds OMG, of them. OMG. That's so now, what it is. The they want their cut. That's exactly, what it is. dude. Says yeah. it's crackdown time. It's all about the money. It's always about the money. And maybe in totality, that's a good thing. Find out where these illegal delivery services are and shut them down. At this stage, there are only 10 places in San Diego with a license to sell, which also gives them the license to deliver. Right now, we have been allowed inside a place called Urban Leaf. This is a legal, legitimate cannabis storefront. I'm a frequent customer. Medical (laughs) marijuana at this point. But this is one of the places that actually has a license to do those deliveries, unlike 99% of the people that are out there. We support the city council's decision to to regulate the delivery uh, system. Um, We appreciate what they've, they've done so far for the industry. Um, this is what a legal delivery looks like. Actually, it looks more like a fancy wine bar than a cannabis shop, a place that followed all the rules, that seems like including a 24 hours. Yeah, it kind of did. It felt like a backhand. You know, it didn't look all dingy, but it looked pretty nice. Well, and and like, wouldn't it be more applicable to say it's more like a, a, a modern cigar shop? Yeah. It looks like. Actually. Because that's actually what it looks like. They've uh, got like uh, cherry wood everywhere and they've got shelves. Actually, with wood it doesn't contain- look like crap. It looks like it looks like a cigar shop. It looks and- like a real store. Like, Actually, it looks more like a fancy wine bar than a cannabis shop, a place that followed all the rules, including 24-hour security. We have a lot of security requirements, two guards on site at all times, um, armed. But still, the business of illegal delivery is just a click away. Some of them following the rules, even though they don't have a license. We are incorporated. We're paying our state taxes, our federal taxes. We're paying our sales taxes. We're paying our personal income taxes. This is the founder of the Cannabis Delivery Alliance. We're doing everything. Elizabeth Wilhelm is the founder of the Cannabis Delivery Alliance. I just said that. (laughs) She only delivers to medical patients and hopes the city will give her one of the licenses to sell. Did you catch the keyword there? No. Medical. (sighs) So they're screwing over the medical patients. We're not denying that there's that there's some bad actors in the bunch. And we, as much as anyone, support getting rid of them. It's not what we want. It's not what we're about. We're about taxation, regulation, and safe access. And making more money for the state. 
Plant KUSI News. There you go. All right. Everybody's about making more money. Everybody's trying to make more money. Chris, I got to ask you a Guess question. how it goes, Chase. I got to ask you something. Guess you, that's how we all get by. You were telling me that you were touched by the eclipse. I was. You were telling me yeah. that you had some incredible drone footage. Yeah. Where I is- just also published yesterday a brand new episode of the vlog where we go inside a barn and make an amazing discovery. And I'm not kidding. Where would somebody find this? YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, yeah. What that's about you, buddy? Those are, is, is there some place I could find more of you online? If you want to get in touch with my gamey and mm-hmm. geek side, sure. you know, we, we're doing that Discord thing, too. Discord.gg slash TV, Or if you can't remember that, ggtvdiscord.com yeah. is the place to go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Also, you could check out previous episodes of User Air that feature Mr. Chase, as well as Ooh. the Twitter, at Nunes, to get more of Chase in your face. And you can know when there's a video of Chris and his vlog over on his Twitter, oh. at ChrisLAS. That's right. You can also follow the whole damn network, at Jupiter Signal for announcements, live changes, all that kind of stuff, as well as our calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Of course, the show may have a little bit left. There is an overtime coming up. You're welcome to stay tuned. It's like the dessert after you've had your veggies. (laughs) That's right. You've earned this. Yes, you have. And uh, also, when YouTube allows, which is getting less and less frequent these days, we're posting the entire live stream at patreon.com slash unfiltered for everybody. Yes. Patrons and non-patrons. That's right. Whole live stream, the unfiltered unfiltered. Hey, you guys, everybody in the U.S. and celebrates. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Absolutely. Have a barbecue. Have a yeah. nice one on us. Yeah. All right, buddy. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of The Unfiltered Show. See you right back here next, next week. guys the show's not over yet it's overtime and look at this crowd Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you to our supporters. This segment is dedicated to you and our new patrons. We got 12 new patrons this week. Thank you to Vince, Tim, Matthew, Adam, Arjo, Casey, Jonathan, Hack Fraud, David, Michelle, or Michael, Michelle, Mitchell. No, no, what's that? No, oh, no, oh, really? Gosh, I thought I was so close. Alcidar and Rye Bread. That is our new list. Thank you, patreon.com slash unfilter for supporting the show. We are on the fast track. Well, we're sort of like on the medium track, really, towards our supplemental two unfilters a week. And I'm, I'm proud to say we have a rough framework built out. Of course, we have the clip infrastructure, and we even have special intro music and graphics. So when the time comes... <laughs> <laughs> there will be a supplemental. You guys know I like to start off the overtime with a little Oh Nancy segment. Sort of 
documenting the corporatist Democrat Party and how they're destroying the progressive movement and uh, handing over the country to the Republicans. That's really what I consider this segment. And, of course, one of the core causes of this very problem is Nancy Pelosi, leader of the Democratic Party, one of the most corporatist Democrats out there. She, since becoming powerful, has earned $100 million. That's her net worth right there. $100 million. Nancy Pelosi, worth $100 million, everybody. $100 million for her public service. Because everybody knows how much those uh, annual paychecks are, right? Wait a minute. Where, where does that money come from? Hmm, that's weird. You know, maybe it's because, uh, according to Nancy, the Democrats have been winning every single fight, so the funding's just high. The Republican Party is in such disarray right now, crisis after crisis. crisis. Nonetheless, the Republic, the Democratic Party does not seem to have been able to capitalize on the problems facing your other party. Why? What do you mean not capitalize? We've beaten them on the... Uh and appropriations. We've won every fight. We've won every fight. The president's numbers are in the high 30s. This is also an interesting statement that she makes. The president's numbers are in the high 30s, as if she's taking credit for it, as if as if she and the other leaders are behind a sustained campaign to denigrate the president and his reputation, as if they should be taking credit for that. Seems like an interesting admission. On every fight, the president's numbers are in the high 30s, which is for a, pres- a new president remarkable that, that to be so low. Uh, so I think the, he is making his own case. The American people see for themselves that he does not share their values and that he does not. Uh, some who may have voted for him are now rethinking and others are just digging in their heels. The master communicator saying others are just digging in their heels. You know, it's not because maybe they have some sort of justifiable position or maybe they're even right in their worldview, but it's just because they're digging in their heels. It's that kind of connecting with the people that's really going to win in uh, 2018. Now, that interview gets a little more awkward when the reporter pushes Pelosi a little bit further and specifically says some Democrats don't really like this better deal slogan. And what about that being sort of a weak slogan? Pelosi doesn't respond well to that. Okay, so let's talk about the better deal. The pro- Democrats rolled out this plan yeah. in this summer. Jobs crack down on uh, corporations and uh, lower the cost of prescription drugs, cost of uh, college and child care. Nonetheless, it, had, had, it, had, has, it has had a tepid response. She's a little nervous, I think. The reporter here is a little nervous because Nancy Pelosi's well, she's very rich. She's very powerful, and she looks agitated. She's licking her lips. She's giving this lady a glare right now. It's a little awkward. Care. Nonetheless, it, had, had, it, had, has, it has had a tepid response from members of your own party, inside and outside the uh, elected officials. Um, and that's obvious because we've played the clips in previous O'Nancy segments on the show about her own party members going, I don't really know about this. It's not news. But to Nancy, it's news. People are saying it's not bold enough. It lacks inspiration. Uh, they're comparing it to the fact that Mrs. Clinton, during her campaign, had a lot of policy papers, but no spark. Do you feel that a better deal does offer the spark to pull in the voters the party will need to win? Well, let me, with all due respect to your characterization, uh, offer a counter view. Uh, we've gotten a very positive response. But it was uh, the month of August, this break, was the test drive. You were we shopping. Our members on the road. Just trying say, See how people trial. Would, uh, uh, respond to this. This was developed by the Senate and House Democrats, not by the leadership, but by them. 
And they made it. Uh, we all made a decision. To- you see how she gestures to herself when she says, but not not the leadership, not the leader, not me, not me. This isn't my slogan. Although if you go to Nancy Pelosi's YouTube channel, uh, what, wait, what? You don't you don't frequent Nancy Pelosi's YouTube channel? What's the matter with me? I do. Anyways, if you go there, one of her semi-recent videos is is her really selling this new slogan. They put a whole thing together. They had cameras. They had an event. Like, she is owning this thing. Senate and House Democrats. Not by the leadership, but by them. And they made it, we all made a decision together that this would be about the economy. It would be about jobs. So some people are saying, well, how come it doesn't have this and it doesn't have... No, because it's about jobs. That's the subject jobs for everyone and we are um, we're hearing uh, input back from folks we uh, perhaps we'll refine some of the language but we are committed to having an economic agenda that, that has clarity as we go forward this is her saying let's move away from identity politics and move to economic politics which is exactly what Steve Bannon was saying they should do she's probably right but she's also at the same time not admitting what a failure the new slogan is uh, and it's even her she can't even get it right. The audio on this clip is also pretty bad, but this is Nancy Pelosi actually forgetting the entire better deal pitch in a speech. To the better deal. And the better deal, I just want to just say this to you because you'll be hearing more about it. And now she's already forgotten. It's about better jobs. She pulls out notes, but she can't read the notes. So she takes off her sunglasses. Better deal is about better jobs, better wages, better future, higher pay. That means, as Barbara Lee said, equal pay for equal work at the very least, as Jackie indicated with Rosie the River. Higher pay, equal pay, lower cost. She's reading these all from a note card. Lower cost to people. Well, let's see. One thing we could lower cost is prescription drugs. She can't even remember the fact that in her own YouTube video, in a script, she said they're going to lower the cost of prescription drugs. That's the only thing they've really been talking about lowering the cost of. That's the one thing they've been talking about. The only item they they can talk about bringing the cost down. And of course, who believes that? Anybody believe that the Democratic Party, the ones led by Nancy Pelosi, that they're not completely bought out by the pharmaceuticals? The people don't buy it. Cost of lowering the cost of prescription drugs and ending drug price gouging is... Gouting, guys. Prescription drugs and gouting. The cost of lowering the cost of prescription drugs drugs. and ending drug price gouging is a way to lower costs for families. Nobody believes you're going to do that. At best, you're going to work with your cronies to make it look like certain prices are cheaper, or you're going to work with your cronies at the insurance agencies. Nobody believes this. Monopolies crack down on big corporate mergers that hurt consumers, workers, and competition. Except for the ones that donate to us and except for the ones in the defense industry that you don't even think about. Those we're not even going to mention. That helps to lower costs when we stop that. And again, tools for... She goes on, tools for the 21st century. She's reading notes. So while she's sitting there defending the slogan, she can't even remember it herself. Of course, she can't remember a lot of things herself, including the famous line that everybody knows. Everybody knows you're not supposed to shout fire in a crowded theater, right? Everybody knows that? Isn't that like that's a golden rule? Yeah, not Nancy. Nancy doesn't know that. Responsibility. How could the Park Service justify denying that organization their free speech rights? Because the Constitution does not say that a person can shout, yell, wolf in a crowded theater. Now, at first, you're like, oh, that's not a big, 
that's not a big mix-up. She's she's blurring her metaphors. You know, don't cry wolf and don't uh, shout fire in a in a crowded theater. Those that is uh, she's blurring the two metaphors. But when you think about it, isn't this a perfect illustration of how jumbled Nancy Pelosi's mind is? Just altogether, Nancy has a jumbled mind. She has a jumbled speech pattern. She appears to be pushing through confusion constantly. There's a lot of different reasons you could say. Some not very charitable, but some might just be it's the way she speaks. Either way. Every time this woman gets in front of a camera, she undermines credibility in the leadership of the Democratic Party. She's hurting her own party every time she goes in front of a camera. She's rich now. She's worth $100 million. How much more rich does she need to be? How, how much of a narcissist is this woman that she continues to damage her party simply because of the position of power that she enjoys holding? What kind of narcissist must she be? The Constitution does not say that a person can shout, yell, wolf in a crowded theater. If you are endangering people, uh, then you're, you don't have a constitutional right to do that. She's talking, of course, about that uh, rally that she got shut down for uh, being a white supremacist rally when it was being hosted by someone who wasn't white and women speakers weren't there. We covered that last week. Nancy, you really got me this week. I got to admit, some weeks I have a smile, but this week, Nancy, you really got me a little worked up. I need something to cheer me up. I need, what, what? Rachel's got something to cheer me up. Oh, oh, a little technical revelation on the, the MSNBC live feed that uh, we caught the other day. Check this out. In Afghanistan and Pakistan, the one person who was supposed to lead those efforts in U.S. government uh, not only is now gone, but her entire office was shut down behind her while she was on her way out the door. What you have here... In terms of what is new here, the president is taking on a new leaf. This is uh, this is Rachel Meadow, and uh, this is August 21st, and she's killing airtime before Trump holds an event. This is something she does more and more now because Rachel's big ratings, and anytime you can have Rachel on there, it's good. And they lose the feed to the Trump rally. Now, you have uh, in a studio, you have lots of inputs coming in. Even in, even in the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio, we have, you know, I don't know, six six or so HDMI inputs coming in, and you have to label each one. I have one, the one that's showing you this picture right now in our video, this, this HDMI input is labeled Air Master. And, uh, you know, but Chase could probably tell you, although I don't know if he could tell you, but down there at Como, they have these monstrous systems that can bring in just tons of feeds, video feeds, and route them all over the entire building, just like MSNBC. And it's a real problem because you've got to label every single input feed. You've got to label every feed. Because you've got to make sure you put the right one on air. And so uh, MSNBC, for a brief moment on August 21st, <laughs> accidentally revealed their Trump live press conference feed name as it flashed up on screen for just a mere moment. And uh, the engineers at MSNBC have named their Trump feed Trash Man. So it's the Trash Man feed, and it flashes just for a moment on MSNBC Live right here as Rachel's going through. And when they realize what's happened, they quickly pull it down. In terms of what is new here, the president is taking on a newly threatening and there belligerent tone toward Pakistan. And then they pull it down. Pakistan Cut away. Prove that it is committed. Cut away. Cut away. We don't want to see the Trash Man. The Trash Man. <laughs> oh, MSNBC.
lot more about Hillary these days, especially here in the Seattle area, because Hillary's coming to town. Hillary's going to be visiting Seattle. She's selling tickets already for the big event, where she's going to sign her book. And of course, we're starting to get early cuts of the book, where she slams Donald Trump. New reporting by NBC News reveals Hillary Clinton's lead over Donald Trump was a lot less certain than previously thought, especially in the last two weeks. As we hear the first excerpts from her upcoming book about that tense standoff at their second debate. Donald Trump was looming behind me. It was incredibly uncomfortable. He was literally breathing down my neck. This is classic Clinton revisionism. Classic, classic. And of course, uh, it's great because it's shrouded in sexism which is perfect for Hillary. That's her sweet zone. And it's based on public perception from photography that's publicly available, which is brilliant because the way cameras work, the way optics work in a camera to our eye, it looks like Donald Trump is substantially closer than he really is. Like, it looks like he's right behind her, when in reality, he's all the way across the stage. He constantly positioned himself during the debate to be in the camera shot, something that we mentioned in our live coverage. Look how he keeps positioning himself and having these looks. He was intentionally going for a visual look, but she's able to play on your misunderstanding, she assumes. This is what makes it so infuriatingly insulting. She assumes you're not smart enough to understand how the optics of a television camera work, or just cameras in general. It's not just like TV cameras have some special power. It's all cameras. She's, so she is assuming that you are not smart enough to think critically about how the optics of a camera work, and she's then able to play off your biases around sexism and your biases around Donald Trump And she's able to cast a beautiful narrative that shows how she struggled with something because she was a woman that a male candidate wouldn't have had to struggle. And the reason why she had to grip her microphone super hard wasn't because of Parkinson's. That's silly. It's because she was so frustrated he was looming over her. And it's beautiful because you never know what was in her mind at the time. The optics of the situation literally look like sometimes he was right behind her because of the way optics work. And your biases towards Trump and women and sexism in general all filter imperfect for the Clintons to beautifully rewrite history right in front of all of us. And of course, there's no better way to do it than write it down in a book. And that's also something they're really damn good at. Tense standoff at their second debate. Donald Trump was looming behind me. It was incredibly uncomfortable. He was literally breathing down my neck. My skin crawled. Their face-off only two days after that Access Hollywood video. Grab him by the The Trump campaign trying to intimidate her. Steve Bannon inviting women accusers from Bill Clinton's past to sit in the front row as Trump circled her on stage. Now, for the first time publicly, she's wondering, should she have stood up to him? Do you turn, look him in the eye, and say loudly and clearly... Back up, you creep. And you know what's funny here, too, is NBC can't actually show you a single B-roll footage where he's looming over her. They've got shots where optically he lines up behind her, but they don't have any shots where he's looming over her. Get away from me. It certainly would have been better TV. And of course, only Hillary could read this audiobook, right? Because you got to make sure you get the right fucking inflections in the right fucking places. Otherwise, it doesn't have the same impact. Maybe I have overlearned the lesson of staying calm. But oh, they again playing to the I've learned my lesson to be the good woman, to be the good woman. She's so good at this. She's one of the most privileged people in the entire 
world. This woman is so privileged that she is royalty on the world political stage. She can travel anywhere, have anyone put in prison. I mean, this woman literally travels like like a queen, even though she never won the election. So so when she talks about how she's learned the hard lessons of oppression, it's it doesn't quite land as if maybe somebody in a quite different position in life were talking about these same things. Maybe I have overlearned the lesson of staying calm, biting my tongue, digging my fingernails into a clenched fist. You, could you tell I, I could tell, yes. I could. <laughs> it is incredibly, incredibly... She seems so shaken there. Why not, you know, if, if, if she was so disgusted, if she was on the verge of calling him out on live television, which would have made better TV, as she puts it, why not then say something during a press conference? I mean, it's not like she held back on Donald Trump. It's not like she didn't say thing about, things about Donald Trump that were outrageous. It's not like she didn't take every single opportunity to attack him. Why not say something right here? You could you tell that? I, I could tell, yes. I could. <laughs> it is incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable. It very much encapsulated a lot of the discomfort uh, in the race in that moment. This guy is sweating like a, like a fiend right now. Uh, in the race in that moment in time. Clinton kept her cool, not wanting to appear weak. She is now in a position where she can share doubts that she had, mistakes that things she made, things she might have done differently. A moment captured on SNL. Pre-existing condition. Number two. As NBC News now reports, that was among the high points for Clinton in the final month. 19 days later, FBI Director James Comey reopened the email investigation. Oh, uh, here we go. And in the final stretch, a more disciplined Trump going on offense while Clinton fell behind while Clinton took every single weekend off, while Clinton sent out surrogates to tons of places and didn't go campaigning herself. I don't know if you guys remember this. It's funny. They, they forget to mention this. All the times they're analyzing Clinton's performance. They always mention Comey. They often mention the Russians. Of course, they mention Donald Trump. They'll mention the Access Hollywood tape. You know what they never mention? They've never mentioned the fact that she collapsed at that 9-11 event again, have they? That never factors into maybe the public's perception about the health of the candidate. What if Donald Trump had collapsed? What if Bush had collapsed? When, when Sr. threw up or, and passed out, they covered the hell out of that. They covered the hell out of that. Isn't it interesting that they've never brought up her very public collapse at the 9-11 event? That everyone saw. Seems like it's worth mentioning maybe once when you're considering Russians and all the other things. The other thing that they never seem to bring up, and I, 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 I really don't understand this one, is how much time she took off right before the election. She took off the weeks before her, each debate. She took a week off before each debate. She took every weekend off. She sent out Barry. She sent out Bill. She sent out Al. She sent out celebrities. But herself, she went to less and less events towards the end. We don't ever talk about that either. Those seem like maybe, maybe those things played some role in the public's perception. I mean, they played a role in my perception, so it seems like maybe somebody else noticed that too. Final month. 19 days later, FBI Director James Comey reopened the email investigation. 
And in the final stretch, a more disciplined Trump going on offense while Clinton fell behind. In her book, a more reflective Clinton writing, in the end, I couldn't get the job done and I'll have to live with that for the rest of my life. That always that phony half owning up to it thing, too, is a good other classic maneuver. It's a real classic one, actually. Uh, So there is um, uh, some harsh words being shared by your friends over at Morning Joe. Berkeley, California, where anti-fascist protesters chased, attacked, and beat Trump supporters as thousands of demonstrators descended on Martin Luther King's Civic Park. The event was branded as a peaceful stand-against-hate rally, but quickly turned into the opposite. It came after organizers had canceled a separate anti-Marxist rally, citing concerns over safety. The Los Angeles Times linked to this video posted on Twitter, which purported to show Antifa members beating down an apparent alt-righter. Berkeley has seen a number of clashes this year between political opponents, some surrounding controversial speakers on campus. I was there during one of the first major ones when Trump was elected. I can't even believe it. I show up and there's this just crazy, crazy amount of people walking around the streets protesting. I go out to dinner and I just wound up in the middle of it. I I leaned over to Alan Jude, who was there, too. And I was like, what do you think of America, Alan? Welcome to the States. (laughs) Officers reported at least 14 arrests. Over the weekend, Nick, uh, this is this is an ongoing problem, ongoing problem in Berkeley, especially where uh, members of the far left are using violence to shut down free speech. Now, Joe can say it when Chris says it. I get attacked. But when Joe says it, apparently it's fine. Uh, and there to, to shut down demonstrators. Look, this is new. This is not just uh, scuffles between rival protesters. This is always how it goes. Each side gets more and more violent. Each side gets more and more amped up. The thing is, is at the end of the day, I got to think that the people on the alt-right side are going to be a little more maniacal than the people on the left side. People on the left side are usually a little more passive anti-violence or at least anti-guns, where the people on the right tend to be more militaristic, more people that are pro-guns. So it seems like if you're really going to have a clash, one side eventually is probably going to be out-armed than the other side, and it's not going to end well for the other side. That would probably, if I was going to guess, be the alt-left side. Is this really a thing? Antifa, alt-left, alt-right? Is this, is this really what we're doing now, or are these all made-up media brands? Right, this is shutting down someone else's speeches with a violent assault. Now, you saw the guy in the red shirt there appeared to be trying to help the guy on the ground. Mm-hmm. I think he was a different protester. Well, I, it, but it's, it's revolting. It might have been a reporter. I, I don't know. Or maybe he was a different well, protester. But, you know. Also, you know. The police, I mean, when the police see these guys coming in with, with masks, they need to do, I think they did it in Auburn, Alabama, maybe four or five months ago. Take your mask off. Yeah. Yep. Take your mask off because you have a history of beating people and hiding behind that mask. Take your mask off. Also, I, I resent the branding of these as anti-fascist protesters. They are nothing if They're not fascist in their behavior. They're yeah. fascists in their behavior, aren't they? There's nothing anti-fascist about that. But it gets to the, a larger issue that you referenced, and it's the, uh, the suppression of free speech on college campuses that is getting to near epidemic proportion. Yeah. Well, I, I this is a very extreme version of that beyond yeah. uh, speech codes. This but, is violence. But, but who was it? Was it, I, you know, and I, I, I'll just say it, I find her speech deplorable. Oh. Ann Coulter, I think she had to have a speech canceled, but you know what? She had a right to give a speech. Uh, it, it, there were several others that, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Milo, I can't pronounce his last name. 
Yiannopoulos. Okay, thank you. But do you remember the the the. The, the fires that were started and the violence was being started. Like, the question is, and I don't know. Yeah, so this line, is though. this is an innocent question. Yeah. Who is running Berkeley and why can't they protect free speech? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're curious, you want to read more. Uh, Veratunda's pointing out in the discord. And he's right that Norm Chomsky recently wrote about this and and the problem the problem and how and how it just escalates from there he wrote he wrote it and said it better than i ever could so you can google that up if you'd like to see that i think really what morning joe's missing though is that um they didn't get the memo and when you when you don't read your memos when you don't check your inbox when you get into the office joe or you've been traveling around the world uh, banging mika you missed out on the fact that you're supposed to be blaming all of this stuff on the russians yep yeah yeah all the protests all right stuff. Yeah, blame it on the Russians. We're good. Blame it on the Russians. That's Next, the U.S. media that. is busy Let's trying to find out who's inspiring the divided sides in American society these days. So now a new article in The Washington Post suggests that the far right is being guided by Russian influence. Whoa, weird. The Washington Post? That's weird. That No, I did not see that coming at all. Jacqueline Vuk has got the story. Russia is used to being blamed for all things sinister in this world. If it's not hacking someone, then it's being labeled authoritarian or just flat-out criminals. But few have stooped to suggest Russia backs Nazis. Until now. The Washington Post claiming the nation that lost more than 27 million people fighting fascist Germany, with every family losing loved ones, is a source of inspiration for America's neo-Nazis. Now, you'd hope such offensive claims would be backed up by undeniable facts, But sadly, you'd be wrong. The article kicks off with a couple of flashy quotes, one from a former KKK imperial wizard who calls Moscow a key to white survival, and then white supremacist Richard Spencer, for whom the Kremlin stands as the most powerful white power in the world, which, yes, sounds bad, but these men will use anything to promote their agenda. So how is that Russia's fault? When white nationalists claim inspiration in America's founding fathers, as they do, does that suddenly make George Washington a Nazi sympathizer? And what about Santa? After all, he's white and powerful, too. <laughs> and with Spencer, they what found a way to drag RT into it as well. Spencer and his wife were welcomed as geopolitical analysts on Kremlin-funded outposts. Oh! I don't know, guys. That one seems like a rough one. I think we got to own our own shit on that one. So let's do a little Trump news. We have some Trump stuff for the overtime for you. Of course, the uh, the big the big Trump news is the pardon of uh, Joe Apeyaro. I just realized I've never had to actually. Our, our, you know who I'm talking about, Sheriff Joe. I've never had to really say his name out loud. I don't think. And uh, you know the situation there as well, I assume. He worked out of Arizona. He's 85 years old. Trump pardoned him before he was even sentenced. Caused a huge backlash. And the media started accusing him of attempting to use the storm as a cover. And uh, I don't have a lot of great clips, but I did capture Trump's response to that, which was, I guess at this point, kind of classic Trump. Mr. President, thank you so much. Uh, President Nienestal, I have a question for you as well, but if I could start with President Trump. In the middle of uh, Hurricane Harvey hitting on Friday night, you chose to pardon former Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I wonder if you could tell us what was behind your thinking 
for issuing a pardon uh, for the sheriff. And as well, what do you say to your critics, even some in your own party, who say it was the wrong thing to do? Well, a lot of people think it was the right thing to do, John. And actually, uh, in the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assume the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. You know, the hurricane was just starting. Uh, he's, so what he's saying there, and it's actually a decent point. It, it, the reason why I want to pause here, actually, let's even go back, because it gives you insight into what Trump understands about messaging here. Actually, uh, in the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assume the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. So the reporter said, you did this during the hurricane, so that way people wouldn't notice. You did this because you figured it would get distract- people would be distracted by the hurricane. He said, well, actually, I knew you SOBs were still going to cover it. <laughs> and because of the hurricane going on, I figured there would actually be far more people watching than normal, so I expected the ratings to be higher. What that tells us is Trump is... is And I guess this is not a surprise, but it matters when it comes to thinking about how news is covered and how he tries to influence news coverage. Trump is a little more aware of how the ratings game works than the average bear. He's probably about as savvy as some network executives are about ratings. And so he's so when he's you do have to you really do have to give credence to people that say, is he doing something because of X news cycle or something? And here. The logical conclusion was he was trying to bury the story, but here he's demonstrating, actually, I knew it wasn't going to bury the story. It was going to be the opposite of burying the story. People are going to hear more about it because of my timing. In the middle of a hurricane, even though it was a Friday evening, I assumed the ratings would be far higher than they would be normally. You know, the hurricane was just starting. Uh, and I put it out that I had pardoned, uh, as we call, as we say, Sheriff Joe. Uh, he's done a great job for the people of Arizona. He's very strong on borders, very strong on illegal immigration. He is loved in Arizona. Loved. I thought he was treated unbelievably unfairly when they Just came down with their big decision to go get him right before the election voting started, as you know. And he lost in a fairly close election. He would have won the election, but they just hammered him just before the election. I thought that was a very, very unfair thing to do. He's, Trump believes that uh, Sheriff Joe was a target of the Obama administration, and he believes that it was a political witch hunt, is what Trump believes. And I think that's why he's making such a public statement in um, pardoning him. Uh, When I mentioned him the other night, you saw the massive crowd we had. The people went crazy when I said, what do you think of Sheriff Joe or something to that effect? The place went absolutely crazy when I was in Arizona last week. And as far as pardons are concerned, I actually did this just before the meeting because I assumed that somebody would ask me the question. I didn't know it would be you, as you can attest. You didn't even know you were going to be called. But I thought I would. And, uh, you know, Sheriff Joe is a great veteran of the military, great law enforcement person, <laughs> uh, somebody that's won many, many elections in the state of Arizona. But I, I look at some of the other people that were pardoned over the years. And if you look at, as an example, President Clinton pardoned Mark Rich, who was charged goes. with crimes going back decades. Here he goes. Including illegally buying oil from Iran while it held 53 American hostages, wasn't allowed to do that, selling to the enemies of the United States. He was pardoned after his wife donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to the Clintons. Then you have dangerous criminals. President Clinton pardoned Susan Rosenberg, a member of the Weathered Underground. Yeah. Charged as part of it. Right, you get the idea. So this is the move. So if you're going to come after me, I'm just going to tell you exactly how Obama did the same thing. Uh, totally steals my thunder when he does that. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, 
now I just now I look like I'm copying Trump. That's not good. I'm gonna move on. We're just gonna we're just gonna move on. Treasury Department says the debt ceiling must be raised by September 29th for the government to make its payments. Guess what story I'm tracking for a future episode of Unfilter. And Congress has until September the 30th, as I mentioned, to pass funding through both chambers. Otherwise, the government runs out of money on October 1st. Yesterday morning, the president tweeted that Republican leaders on Capitol Hill had missed an opportunity, accusing Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan of ignoring his request to tie raising the debt ceiling to a Veterans Affairs bill, alleging they've allowed Democrats to hold it up, saying, quote, could have been so easy, now a mess. <laughs> oh, and even though Speaker Ryan was named in the tweet, he told CNBC he didn't see it as criticism. All right, let's stop there. We don't need to hear that. So the point that I want to go over here, let's just do, 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 do. The debt ceiling must be raised by September 29th for uh-huh. the government to make its payments. And there's one more and deadline. Congress has until September the 30th, as I mentioned, to pass funding through both chambers. So we got two dates. Uh, we have the 29th and the 30th. And then if by if we miss both those days, the money runs out. Otherwise, the government runs out of money on October 1st. So those are the numbers and dates you need to know. So you've got the 29th, the 30th. And then October 1st. So you got Senate 30th. Uh, it doesn't really matter. 30th, 31st, and the 1st. So in that range, basically, <laughs> you know, that's going to be a rough weekend, really, is what, what it is. Uh, I'm looking right now at the calendar. That's going to that's gonna be rough. If That's going to be – so we have all of September is going to be ramped up to it, basically. Uh, the 31st is – yeah. Yeah. It's, that's going to be a crazy weekend. And they're going to ramp up to it all September long. There's going to be a lot of uh, – a lot of cock of the walk, uh, showing of feathers and chef, chest pu- pu- puffing out, saying, well, we have to get this funded or we have to do that funded. You know, things like walls and whatnot. It'll be interesting to watch that. There's a story that didn't quite fit into the main show, but uh, we're tracking this also. I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot to this particular story. Now to CNN's Manu Raju. Tell us what you're learning about learning. these emails that are now under multiple investigations. What are you Manu? learning? Hey, Brianna, we are hey. learning now that the president on three separate occasions discussed oh. this hotel and condominium project in Moscow with his attorney, Michael Cohen. Now that is according to a report in Bloomberg. And a separate Washington Post report now says that in January 2016, Cohen wrote an email to one of Vladimir Putin's most trusted aides, Uh-oh. Dmitry Peskov, to note that the talks between the two over the project have stalled. And this would mark the highest level discussion between a Kremlin official and a Trump official that we know of today. Now, the man who is trying to broker this Moscow deal is a man by the name of Felix Sater, a Russian-American businessman and associate of the president. Now, Sater says in a 2015 email obtained by The New York Times that, quote, our boy can become president of the (laughs) USA and we can engineer it, saying he would get the Putin's team's buy-in for the project. Now, Brianna Cohen is now downplaying the matter in a statement to CNN saying today that in late January 2016, I abandoned the Moscow proposal because I lost confidence that the prospective licensee would bring the proposal to fruition. It was a building proposal that did not succeed and nothing more. Cohen also said subsequently to CNN that he sent an email to that Putin aide Peskov regarding the Moscow project. You know, the thing that uh, strikes me about that is... uh, the longer this Russia investigation draws out, the less it seems likely that uh, Trump is the uh, Russian candidate because the relationship with Russia is not so great right now, <laughs> you know? So it seems like less and less of, uh, of, of a good thing. Yeah. There's also uh, there's this, uh, there's this cyber panel that uh, we talked about, and uh, there's, a growing, there's more of a growing trend of, of a clash. You, well, that's how it's being labeled, at least, uh, between Silicon Valley and 
Trump. How has Google's position within Washington changed? Uh, well, you know, I think that we mentioned some of these cultural issues here, you know, the uh, ban on trans service members in the military, immigration issues, the travel ban to majority Muslim countries. Uh, these are places where the administration and the company have clashed in a very public way. And of course, you know, those kinds of clashes, they do have, uh, you know, policy consequences, uh, you know, especially in this administration where loyalty is a big deal. Uh, hmm. There is not a lot of love lost, I think, between some of those companies. That makes sense to me. You know, Trump is really big on that. If you if you backlash and uh, you do it publicly, he'll drop you. He'll drop you like you're hot. So uh, there's there's that discussion there. There's also uh, the conversation. And he'll see if I can find it about net neutrality. We don't necessarily know where they're going to go or it sort of seems like tech may be uh, kind of losing in them. And so there are a lot of ways in which these companies are kind of being surrounded right now. And obviously the Trump administration hasn't had the best of luck in pushing through its policy initiatives. But, Michael, the fact that Congress and the White House are considering tax, energy, immigration reform that is very important to Silicon Valley. And the White House is is clearly not on the side of Silicon Valley. How much of a concern is that? Um, What you have is a divergence of values. Oh, we'll leave it at that. I guess the net neutrality bit essentially just says that uh, Silicon Valley might not get its way. There's also a bit of uh, some high horses. These are some good ones here. Uh, let's start with uh, your good pal, your good pal uh, Jake Tapper. Oh. This is a subject that I hear more and more on Capitol Hill from Republicans as well as Democrats in off-the-record whispers. They ask, does President Trump have the wherewithal to be president? Not just is he able to channel <laughs> the aspirations of uniting us, but as Republican Senator Corker asked, does he have the stability to be president? Does he have the competence to be president? And it's a question the public is asking as well, according to a new Quinnipiac University poll released this afternoon. Voters overwhelmingly saying President Trump is not level-headed, 68% to 29%. Uh Voters saying President Trump does not provide the U.S. with moral leadership, 62 to 35%. That he's not honest, 61 to 36%. Voters believe by a two-to-one margin, President Trump is doing more to divide the country than to unite it, 62 to 31 percent. Nearly six in 10 voters say President Trump's decisions and behavior have encouraged white supremacist groups. Now, President Trump is a man who looks to numbers and to ratings. These numbers, sir, these numbers are disastrous. You are no doubt pleasing your base, but your behavior is causing great concern among the majority of the American people. Now, I would agree with probably those numbers, especially the, the moral leadership one. I do have to wonder if what happens here a bit is these anchors realize that there's a potential, unlike any other president before Trump, that he's really watching them. There's really a possibility, especially if you're talking about him, there's a real possibility he's watching. And you have to wonder if that is influencing the way they talk. I mean, he legitimately, this is, he does it. They all do it now. They all just address him as if, could you imagine what that would do to your ego? I would think if you're just like, you know, if you're some like news actor and you're just you've been in the industry for all these years and you really want to be you really want to make it. I don't know what like you just you got all these aspirations, I'd assume, being on CNN and, and, and all that stuff. And it would just seem like this huge head trip all of a sudden to have the ear of the president. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't. And some some of them, maybe they maybe it doesn't get to their head. Maybe some of it does. Uh I don't know if uh, Trump's watching Don Lemon, but uh, if he is, he's probably a little pissed off after this rant. Safe again. And we will make America great again. 
Thank you, Arizona. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, CNN is just uh, watching the Trump press conference. This is out of Phoenix. And uh, then they comment on it with their panel, which is just easy ratings for them. They don't have to do any work. They just sit there and watch it and then comment on it. And comment, Don Lemon does. Well, what do you say to that? I'm just going to speak from the heart here. What we have witnessed was a total eclipse of the facts. Someone who came out on stage and lied directly to the American people and left things out that he said in an attempt to rewrite history, especially when it comes to Charlottesville. He's unhinged. It's embarrassing. And I don't mean for us, the media, because he went after us, but for the country. This is who we elected president of the United States, a man who is so petty that he has to go after people who he deems to be his enemy like an imaginary friend of a six-year-old his speech was without thought it was without reason it was devoid of facts it was devoid of wisdom there was no gravitas there was no sanity there he was like a child blaming a sibling sibling wow on something else he did it i didn't do it he certainly opened up the race wound from charlottesville a man clearly wounded by the rational people who are abandoning him in droves, meaning those business people and the people in Washington now who are questioning his fitness for office and whether he is stable. A man backed into a corner, it seems, by circumstances beyond his control and beyond his understanding. That's the truth. If you watch that speech as an American... You had to be thinking, what in the world is going on? This is the person we elected as a president of the United States? This petty? This small? The person who's supposed to pull the country together? Certainly didn't happen there. Let's break it all down now. I'll break it down for you, Don. You see, all presidents have been like this. You think they don't all look at their public image? You don't think they all go after people? You don't think they're all vindictive bastards? You know that's not true. You know, the only problem is, Don, is that, the and I, I agree, it doesn't look good. Trump's wearing it. He just puts it all out there. And I think what you will never understand, Don, and I don't understand why you can't seem to get it through your head, that's why they elected him. He's a populist, and he doesn't bullshit about this very same thing that all other politicians and you news actors do. I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to illustrate how you will never understand it. It's, listen, and I've been one to say, um, Maria, that, you know, it was a pipe dream that Donald Trump is not going anywhere. People are saying impeachment. He's going to be there for four years. But he has given oxygen to racists. Mm-hmm. He hasn't oh. really said anything, denounced the alt-right. He talked about yeah. the KKK and whatever. He hasn't really um, done that. He is clearly trying to ignite a civil war in this country. Mm-hmm. He has not tamped down race. And I'm just going to say, I mean, if, you, if he was on my team in this newsroom and said those things, he would be escorted out of the building by security. Yes. And I have to, my Because co- Don's a tough guy. Because Don's a tough guy. Don's a real tough guy these days, isn't he? He's a real tough guy. Talking tough. Everybody's talking tough to the president because they're a bunch of tough guys. Oh, Don. I, th- I did like that line, though, about, uh, about, the, uh, about the, um, 
Uh, what did he say? Oh, about like a sibling, about blaming it on a si- sibling. I thought that was pretty good. See, where, where uh, NBC differs is they just say, well, it's a different tone. It's a different tone. Tonight, more White House whiplash at the American oh. Legion National Convention in Reno, a declaration of unity. It is time to heal the wounds that divide us. A presidential 180 from last night's unbridled offensive in Arizona. Repeal and replace. Repeatedly taking aim at the media. The very dishonest media and they're bad people. You know, the thing is, is Trump says, well, I change tone depending on my crowd. The media doesn't like it, but I change tone. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe he's a performer. Maybe he's a performer. I don't know. I'm too distracted by Clapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Clapper, your good buddy, James Clapper, the old DNI. The old director of all the intelligence agencies, the top spy. The guy who lied and said that he wasn't aware of any NSA programs that monitored people intentionally. Unless you count the loopholes, of course. <laughs> yeah, that James Clapper. Yeah, he's now a CNN paid contributor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's an analyst for CNN now. That's the um, thing. So let's deal with the matter at hand. Uh, Bannon's quote. There is no military solution. It's all a bluff to say that we could go in that direction. What is your reckoning? Well, first, uh, Chris, let me just say that if the, if the North Koreans intended the trajectory of that missile uh, to go over Japan, that, that is a, uh, a big Rubicon they've crossed. Rubicon. Crossing the Rubicon. Isn't that interesting how he just tossed that out there? <laughs> He's, yeah, I'm a spy. This is how you know I'm a spy guy. ...of that missile. Uh, to go over Japan, that, that is a, uh, a big Rubicon they've crossed. They have done this before, but with uh, satellites. And the first time they've done it with a military missile. Uh, it, uh, now, the, the, the thing I'm curious about, whether they actually meant to do it. Oh, they what? went too far away from a major U.S. Uh, Air Force base in Masawa, Japan, which is in northern Honshu, uh, not too far away from Hokkaido. Uh, uh, the earlier track I saw, it looked like they maybe were trying to aim it uh, in the water, over the water between those two islands. Second, the options on the table, uh, to quote the president's phrase. Um, now he's referring to notes that he has in his hands. Are actually no different than uh, they were before. And this may be the first time I've ever agreed with Mr. Bannon, but our options are, in fact, limited. I think, though, there needs to be a distinction between a preemptory military option, which was being uh, kicked around, bandied around at one point, and then as contrasted with a reaction, particularly if the North Koreans do something kinetic. That is, if that missile had broken up over Japan and parts of it fallen on Japan or particularly on, on our our base, we'd be in a much different place. And I think then then it's it, you know it, it, you get into the options for reaction. And there are re, there there are um, uh, p- potential options. I would guess our red line implicit. Boy, this guy is such a rookie, huh? Talk about a boring interview. He doesn't understand at all that he needs to be giving lines to Como here because all he he just looks sit there. It looks like look like a, some sort of doofus while the former spy just rattles off a list of talking points. You got to, you know, Clapper, you got to submit this stuff to Como over email first so that way he can look real smart. I mean, if you're going to stick around and get paid, you got to make these guys look good. You've really got to figure this out. I, I appreciate you're giving out good info and I don't know why you're doing it. Um, I can't think of this happening ever before. It's almost like your position was political all along. It's a red line, and I don't know, but I'm just guessing, is that um, if there is, were kinetic damage done by a North Korean missile, I think that would be at least implicitly our red line. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the problem, 
as Mr. Bannon uh, observed, is we don't know what their red line is, whether they would just react in kind or pause or uh, an all-out cataclysmic attack against the South. And that's what makes it such a difficult problem. And I, I... I sense that uh, President Trump is, uh, is beginning to realize this after uh, you know the campaign It's not unlike what he said about Afghanistan. Right. Uh, and I think, by the way, we came out in the right place there. So there you have it. That's the CIA or the NSA, whichever. That's the that's the essentially the take from the many intelligence agencies that we have. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that pleasant? So that's their take, for whatever it's worth, and. Uh, it seems like Trump has gone along with just about everything that they've wanted to do. Afghanistan, Syria. So I don't I don't really see why North Korea would be any different. You know, there's there's all this flooding going on in Texas and I got to say watching some of the coverage, Texans really do respond to a situation like nobody else. Nobody else. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I might break out the camera if this happened to me. I'm not sure, though. I might also just get the hell out of there. But this Texas resident films a pair. Yes, I said a pair. Yes, a pair of gators in her flooded backyard. Countless videos and images out of Texas have taken over social media, as you no doubt know. We've shown you a few through a day. Here's a wild one out of Missouri City, Texas, about 20 miles south and west of Houston. A woman calmly describing a pair of alligators just feet from her house. Now here's the gator moving along. You can see him. She's so calm. Taking his time. I would be freaking out. He's inside of the fence again. Yeah, you know, no big. I'm gonna show you. Yeah. That's where you can get through the fence. Here's the top of the fence, the low part where he is able to get into our backyard. Yeah, you know. And now it looks like there's not only him, but now him. Two gators. So not too far from just climbing on into the backyard and getting right here to the patio. Missouri City, Texas. Uh, Gators in your yard. For people in a lot of states, that's uh, kind of commonplace. For producers looking at video in New York. That's a game changer. And Washington. And Washington. Trust me, Chef. It's still a game changer here, too. Thank you for joining us. The overtime's all wrapped up. And it was brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. We'll be back next week at the live time over at the calendar page, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Chats at discord.me slash jupitercolony. There's an unfilter room just for you in there. And I hope to see you back here next week. 